Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, June 27th. We are here live. It's time for the Power Hour. We'll have the team here with us from Pittsburgh Power. We'll see what's on their mind this week, and then we'll get to your calls and questions. We're going to open up those phone lines right now. So jump in and join us. 855-950-3835. We'll get to those calls here in just a little bit. So jump in and join us. Bruce, it looks like you're first up on the board this morning. Good morning. Good morning, Kevin. What's on your Pleasure mind this week? The next couple hours with you? Yeah. Well, there was a there was a guy on Trucking Tribe had a little bit of a smart remark pertaining to us and then about may possibly me talking about the same things now. But so I thought about uh, when you and I first met and started talking, we talked about uh, a lot of big cams and four and a quarter Bs and then the electronic engines were coming in and we talked about the D-Dectories and four Detroits and building glider kits and staying away from emissions. There was a lot of new stuff to talk about. Line of protrusion, ported and ceramic coated exhaust manifolds, <laughs> turbos, turbine housing, turbo boost gauges, pyrometers, mufflers, exhaust systems, air filters, the list just goes dampers and balancers the list goes on and on and on it does right and so does this fella want me to talk more about the 3406 e cat and the c15 cat i'm sure he doesn't want to hear about the mechanical big cam cummins he apparently has heard enough about the max mileage fuel borne catalyst but we have another new story about that one so, Bruce, let me let me address this because it's, it's on a fleet. I have to deal with this all the time. Constantly, I deal with this. I get emails, I get messages. Every once in a while, I'll mention it, uh, but most of the time, I just kind of ignore it. There's no choice. So, I talk all the time about how to be successful in business. It's actually pretty simple. There's one rule. Follow one rule and everything else can work itself out. To be successful in any business, what you should focus on is creating maximum value for your customers. So let's take a business like yours. Your customers want you to do one thing. They want you to fix their truck right at a reasonable price and know that they're going to get good service. So that's what you focus on. You've done it for decades. You do it really well. Uh, I've known this about business. This business is really different. The business I'm talking about doing a radio show like this, which really isn't our business. It's just a tool we use to communicate with people. But here's what I get constantly. I, I have no idea how many listeners we had when we were on Sirius. They never told us ever. They said they didn't know, which I didn't believe them, but they just never gave us a number. We have some numbers now that we're doing our own thing, but they're not very accurate because there's probably 40 different apps you could listen to our show on. And we can't track where everybody's listening. But where we do track the live stream, we have between each month, we have between 40 and 50,000 unique listeners. And so the number's got to be bigger than that, whatever it is. Here's the thing. They all want something different. Nobody comes to you and wants you to help them meditate, right? I mean, they come to you to get their truck fixed. Most businesses are pretty specific. Right. But this radio thing, it, it, you know, people just seem to think that I should only talk about what they want me to talk about. 
Well, how do you do that when there's 50,000 people and they all might want something a little different? Some people want more health. Some people never want to hear about health. It's one of the reasons why we've done specific segments like this. If you think that Wednesday is becoming too repetitive for some reason, then maybe don't listen for a while. Same thing with Tuesday. We, we really try to segment things out so you know what the topic is going to be today. And if you don't like that show, then don't listen. I can't. This is one time where you can't please everybody, not even close. So we don't really try. We look at big trends. And I will tell you, this show, The Power Hour, is always in the top two or three always no matter what time frame we look at they shift around a little bit you know what's the favorite show or the favorite segment but the power always always in the top three usually one or two so people like this information but you're always going to get that always i get it constantly mm-hmm. so i had a last week a martin moody senior called me 70 years old just bought a new peak with an x15 beautiful big custom bunk on it and i said and you're 70 years old he said yes but i love the truck that's right <laughs> okay that's right <laughs> okay yep. so he said i'd love to get up there and get this thing tuned i said well where are you he said i'm in elkridge maryland and i have be sitting here all day tomorrow while my trailer is being loaded and I said, well, I'm coming right past you. I'll just bring a remote tune kit. And I met him, a wonderful, wonderful guy. And we talked, but we probably talked on the phone for a half hour. And then we talked while we sat in his truck when JR did the tune. And as soon as I started it, and I flipped the throttle a couple of times, he looks over and he smiled. And he said, never sounded like that before. <laughs> I said, well, all I did was blip the throttle. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, uh, so JR did the tune, and so I have his cell phone number, and he has mine, and I called him the next day, and I talked to him twice as he was going to Dallas, Texas, and he does run the Max Miles Catalyst, and sharp guy. So he and I had him keeping his boost on. He said it was on at seven pounds of boost on the level, which is pretty good for yeah. 80,000 pounds. Pulling, pulling company trailers he said that aren't in good shape yeah so we're we're gonna i'm gonna be working with him and i'm gonna call him later today and uh, he'll be leaving dallas i think he's going to los angeles and so he'll be doing some uphill and downhill again and we're gonna see what his fuel mileage is and but he he's in that 62 mile an hour range so he's 308 gears low pro 225 18 no, 12-speed automatic. So at 62, I think he said he was at 1,260 RPM. Okay. And you said it was an X-15? And he said it pulled an X-15. That's, that's a good the, setup um, for that engine. What's the, yeah, what's the, what's the aerodynamic peak? What model is that now? Uh, boy, you know, I haven't Not been 386, in- 580, or something? Might be a 586 they changed all their numbers and i haven't really kept up with theirs yeah i can't wait them to change them i need to just google them and look at them or whenever they're in the shop stand there and stare at them and make mental notes yeah i've fallen behind on some of the new truck models i used to know everything when it came out engines transmissions it's just getting harder and harder to keep up with that's right that's right 
So we have Shields Paving. They're over on Rod 8, so they're maybe nine miles from us. And they get their trucks detailed across the street at Long Haul Detailing. And Bill, our president, went over and made a cold call on them and sold them a five-gallon pail catalyst. I think they have 22 dump trucks plus all their equipment. And a week goes by, they came back and bought two five-gallon pails, 10-gallon. Oh, Paul Carmine just said it's a 579 aerodynamic peak. Okay. So, thanks, Paul. I always keep Messenger on during the show, Kevin, because whenever I need to know something, someone like Paul or someone else will help me out. You know, I've got it on all the time, too, and my team sends me stuff about what's going on or, you know, quality, and then other people text me answers. And I, so it, it's always there, but it's, sometimes it's uh, more of a distraction. So every once in a while, if it sounds like I lost my train of thought, it's probably because somebody's texting me something. <laughs> so anyway, back to Shields Paving. They went through the f- first five-gallon pail, then they bought... Uh, two five-gallon pails, and they went through that in two weeks. So uh, Bill delivered them a 55-gallon drum. And nice. he's sitting there talking with Mr. Shields, and he said, you know, we put it in our, our tank and all the trucks fuel at home, but we didn't tell anybody. And two of the drivers came and said, did you tune my truck up during the night? Because it's running so much better. You know, we talked about this. Now, these are drivers, triaxle dump trucks hauling asphalt, yep. running local western Pennsylvania, and they notice hey, the difference. Bruce, I just the, thought about something. That operation is probably really hard on the emissions. It's tough. Yeah. All the you, idling. You see those guys doing a lot of idling, a lot, sitting there waiting in line, moving up every now and then. That's <laughs> That's got to be really tough on the emissions. You know, we talked about that concept before, Mm -hmm. and I always did it with my drivers and trucks. Uh, We've heard some other people that do it. I believe it's absolutely one of the best ways to test a change in the truck. I don't even trust myself. I know what change was made to a truck. And I'm susceptible to that placebo effect. I, I, if I spent money on something, I want it to work. Every time I tested a product, I want it to work because that would be a good thing. Then I have one more thing I can help people with. I have one more thing I might be able to make money with. So I want those things to work. And you have to fight really hard against that placebo effect, convincing yourself that it worked. Ooh, feel the throttle response. Oh, listen, it sounds different. You can convince yourself. We know it's a real thing. It, it, it works with drugs. You can give somebody a drug and there's an effect. You can give another person a sugar pill and convince them that you gave them the drug and they get the same effect. We know it's a real phenomenon. Right. So this idea of not telling people and seeing if anybody notices. Now, if nobody notices, it doesn't mean it didn't work. Just maybe didn't change enough that anybody noticed. But when people notice and they didn't know there was a change, you know it's working then. Mm-hmm. So the dual fuel line kit that we came out with years ago for the Cummins, the big cam Cummins, um, it was 25 horsepower to the ground, so that would be about 32 flywheel horsepower. A company in Colorado Springs called me and ordered five of them, and they put them on during the nighttime. 
So their drivers didn't, you know, Big Kim 350s, A model KWs with 13 speeds. A few of their drivers came back and said, I gained a half a gear. What'd you do to my truck? And it takes a half a, on a 13 speed to gain a half a gear, it takes 25 horsepower to the ground. Wow. So we know that if we give you 50 horsepower to the ground, you gain a full gear. And so that was the neat thing about that dual fuel line kit by evening out the fuel pressure going across the heads. Uh, one time years ago, I put a fuel pressure gauge on at the fuel pump and I took the plug out of the front head because the fuel enters the rear head and goes forward. And I put a fuel pressure gauge there and I went for a ride in the truck and I noticed a 50 pound pressure drop from number six cylinder and from number six to number one. That's big. So by evening that, yeah, it's huge. It's huge. If you stop and think about this, that, that big cam four, three fifty that was in my Kenworth that I had at 500 horsepower, the difference between the sister engine. So that was a three fifteen. So it was a 315 and 350. The only difference was 17 pounds of fuel pressure. Everything else was identical. Wow. 17 pounds. That's all they so changed. So 17 pounds of fuel pressure. Yeah, that's it. If 17 pounds of fuel pressure would take you from 315 to 350. Wow. What's yeah. the 50 pounds and, making it even in the engine? And that seems to me like that has to be really hard on the engine itself. Well, when you, if you stop and think about it, the majority of those engines, if they scored a cylinder, it was five or six. Yeah. The ones that were working the hardest. Right. And then you then you want an engine to pull smooth. Yeah. yeah. But you're starving one, two, and three cylinders. Yeah, it's going to uh, be so out of whack. Huh. All right. But anyway, let me tell you exactly how that engine that came to me, because there's a lot of people in the industry that are non-believers in everything. Yes. And... I was up the street from my old shop about a mile and a half, and there was a, another little truck garage, and he had some trucks. And he was an interesting guy. Prior to silicone hoses, he would take his six trucks, put all new hoses on every year. Wow. And that way he never had a – yeah, he, he was he was interesting. Don Beatty was his name. And there was a guy there with an NH250 that they had turbocharged. And he had the cab up, cab over international. He called me over. He said, look at this. I ran fuel to the front head along with the fuel to the back head. I was probably in the business coming up on three years. Okay. I said, hmm, interesting. Now, he didn't tell me anything, horsepower, gaining a half a gear or anything. But I thought about it. And then Marvin Winship, retired mechanical engineer, from the Buffalo, New York area. I had a 359 Peep with a twin turbo 475 big can. We had about 800 horsepower. He would go in to Cummins at midnight with a case of beer, and they'd let him play all night long. And a dyno, he just had to be out before daylight got in. <laughs> so I said, Marvin, Marvin, run a fuel line to the front head, take out the bottom plug, and call me in the morning and tell me what you gained. And he's the one who told me he gained 25 horsepower. Wow. He said, but the engine's smoother. And that was the start. But that got started because of another guy with a cab over international showed it to me. I made a mental note of it. And then we implemented it several years later. But I never forgot about that. 
But I didn't say, ah, that won't do anything like so many mechanics would say. I tried it. Yes. Yep. And it worked. And you've been doing that ever since. And I, yeah, ever since. Yeah. When I was road racing the Corvette, uh, you know, the Corvette had the buggy leaf spring across the back. I looked under one of my competitors and he had, remember, airlift where you could buy, it had a coil spring and it had an airbag in it. Do you remember those? You'd mount them on your leaf springs to oh, yeah. raise your car. Yep. You're going to haul a trailer. Yep. But he had them on the end of each spring. And I looked at that and I'm laying in the grass in the pits and I'm looking at it. I'm, you know, I'm 23 and 24 years old. So I called my two pit crew over and we're laying there looking at this guy. So the next week I buy them and I put them on. And at Nelson's Ledges, you hit that first corner to 90 degrees, swooping bend. You hit it about 110 miles an hour. And 110 through a 90 degree bend is pretty, pretty fast. Yeah. <laughs> and it put me out in the field, spinning circles at 110. <laughs> and I got back on, I got back on the track and I took it easy for, it's 2.3 miles around. I took it easy. I still ran hard, but not, right. I didn't push it. Right. And I got back in the pits. We took those airbags off and well, I saw somebody else did it. Figured I'd try it, and it did not work. Do you know how many things on diesel engines we have tried over the years that did oh, not work? Yeah. Yeah, we don't talk far. about the things that did not work. Yeah, I mean, we don't talk about those. Every, you're right. We, we just Because I spend so much time talking about something that didn't work anyway, so why bother? The only thing occasionally I'll do is warn people away from something if I see it becoming popular and I know it doesn't work, which happens. But other than that, you're right. I, I tested. God, I've lost track so many things over the years. And like I said, my hope is always that they work. But when I test them, I my goal is to prove they don't. I mean, that's what I try to do. I try to prove this just doesn't work. And then when something actually does work, no matter how hard I try to prove that it doesn't, we know we've got something good. Mm-hmm. Hey, I saw something on the internet. It said, new trucks make you feel comfortable, but old trucks make you feel alive. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, I'm at the point now, and I like this point where I am now. I could, honestly, I even talked about this the other day. If I had the time and I wanted a big project, the, the project that I would absolutely love to do is go back into trucking and buy some equipment. Here's what I would buy. I would build a glider because I still love that concept. And I, I don't know what engine I would do. I, I might build something with an N14. I'd really like to go back and play with that engine more. So I would build, you know, another signature glider with everything we know. Build it, you know, everything we've learned since the last one we built. Build one of those. Then I would spec a brand new truck, more than likely a, a Volvo spec really well. And then I would want a Tesla. And I would run a three truck operation and I would track every single number and see which one of those three is the most cost effective. I think that would be a lot of fun. It's just, it would take so much time. It does. And every year as you get older, you have a little bit less time. Seems like it. Yeah, that's for sure. The days and the weeks and the years start going by really fast. You know, uh, 
each year you have so many minutes of energy per day, you lose so many minutes of energy per day. And you need a little bit, you slow down a little bit, you work a little slower, sometimes it, smarter. Smarter, and If yeah. you put in a hard 16-hour day, a hard 16-hour day, you'll pay for it tomorrow. Yes. So, yep. Yeah. So that happens. All right. All right. Good stuff. That's all I have. I mean, we could go on about the older stuff, but um, some people don't want to hear about older. They just want to hear about new. Yeah, we're 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 still going to be talking about older for quite some time. Um, there's still, mm-hmm. uh, you see it all the time. There are, st- and I've said, I, I can't imagine running a mechanical engine trying to make money today, but there are still operations where it makes sense. And there are still people who would rather do it. And if they're doing it and they're making money, that's fantastic. Um, as far as, you know, late nineties, early 2000 engines, like I said, I, I'm still a big fan of those. I think there was a time there where we had some really good engine mm-hmm. choices and we knew how to make them run really well and get good fuel economy and keep the maintenance cost down. So that's not going away anytime soon. But I'm also interested in the new trucks again. And for about a decade there, I didn't even want to talk about new trucks. I, I did everything I could to avoid them. Uh, so it's uh, it's good to be back here anyway. All right, let's, uh, let's bring in Pete yeah. and Leroy and see what's on their mind. Pete. Good morning. Let me try that again. Why is that not working? There we go. Pete. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning. What's on your mind this week? So I was going to talk about the super truck program. Are you familiar with that? I I am, but I have to say the new results just came out on International's super truck and all I saw was the headline, 16 miles to the gallon. Mm. I've been dying to get in there and read it, but I just haven't had time. So I'm actually a little behind, but I'm very familiar with the super truck program overall. So I, I saw that, which led me into looking into that deeper. So there was a super truck one program right. um, that ran from 2010 to 2015. Uh, we're in the super truck two program, which runs to 26. And then in, in 2027, they're going to have a super truck three program, um, which is money the Department of Energy gives different trucking companies, and they're all involved with it. Right. Um, and it's kind of interesting the different ways they went about it. So uh, Freightliner is using the Cascadia with a DD-13 engine, which I found interesting because, as we've talked about this before, uh, that's an engine that's kind of just definitely overlooked. I, I, I've been saying it since it came out. I was so excited about it when they brought it out. And then I was shocked that it just didn't catch on. Some fleets ordered them, but I don't hear much from them. Owner operators just seem to just stay away from this thing. I don't know why. We did hear the other day, um, the car haulers actually like it. Mm-hmm. Yep. So what was interesting, so Peterbilt and Cummins are together, uh, KW and the MX-13 is together. Um, you know, they're working on it side by side. Right. And they're um, going with um, what they call a mild hybrid. So a mild hybrid is it uses a small electric motor and battery to help acceleration from a stop and then run power steering, AC, uh, things like that, which they're running a 48-volt system. Right. Control that. Um, but was what I found interesting, and... To me, this makes the most sense. They're all 
you know, doing stuff that isn't available yet or mainstream. Right. Um, Peterbilt went or redesigned a cab where it's going to have just one single seat like Tesla. Which is interesting. You know, here's one of the things that that makes me think of. I've often wondered why we don't build better truck trailer combinations that are more efficient together. And then the answer is because we change trailers way too often. It, ju- it really doesn't make sense to try to build very custom units. Now, some companies might be able to get away with it, but a manufacturer isn't going to really put out models like that. So when Tesla did that whole single seat, I thought, well, are they going to make a truck with two seats ever? Or is this just, and then what about teams? You know, it's, can you set it up so that the... Yeah, could they sit someplace comfortably behind? Because nobody wants to spend all their time back in the sleeper. So it's, you know, will they offer trucks with one seat and then other models with two? I don't know. It's kind of weird. So, and a lot of them, especially the international, a lot of it was the trailer. It was the combination of the two. Right, right. Um, Which was good for maybe Walmart, you know, fleets that that, um, had their own fucking trailer. Correct. And, and yeah, so, and I, I've often said after we did the signature truck project and we did the signature trailer project, and then the next one, had we done one, would have been a combination that is designed to stay together and maximize the two together. And I was saying years ago, that's where there's still a lot of potential left, but it's it's much more difficult to work into a system. Well, and I just, I just can't see even if it gets 15, 16 miles per gallon, like if an entire fleet has to buy a truck and trailers that are designed together, like that cost has to be humongous. It, it is. Like, it's, I don't know we, when those, well, here's, are like, Oh, this initial invest $5 million pays off. Yeah. Well, here's the other problem. And a lot of people don't realize this. If you make aero or, or fuel efficient products for a trailer rather than a truck. And there are several things we do to trailers that we don't, you know, they're specific to trailers. That is a much, much more difficult sell, especially at the fleet level. Most fleets run about four to one trailers to trucks, three to one, four to one. So what that means is you have to take that device. And if you're going to try to sell it to a fleet, you have to multiply it by four to figure out what the return on investment is going to be. That's how many more trailers they have than trucks. And that that's, is a big, big factor in this. And that was one of the things that was noted was how much of this is going to be cost effective. Right. I mean, the, the government gave them $20 million to, you know, look into this. Now, that's a lot of money. But when you consider Cummins had 200 employees working on this project. Wow. At $20 million is not very far. No. No. No, not at all. You know, and and all this testing is outrageously expensive. Time consuming. Yeah. So one of the common denominators was with all the engines, um, what they call BTE, which is brake thermal efficiency. So most internal combustion engines are at 40 to 45% efficient. Um, they got these up to 55%, wow. which is a big deal. That's big. So let's That's, explain what that means because this confuses a lot of people and I've had people screw up these statistics over the years trying to sell me something on fuel mileage. They all tried to make the claim, we're only burning 40 some percent of the fuel. 
No, no, no. That's not even close to being correct. We're we're burning high 90 some percent of the fuel. This measurement is telling us how much of the energy from that fuel went to making the vehicle move down the street. What else could that energy be used for? Well, most of it is being used just to generate unneeded heat. Anytime there's heat Heat somewhere, that's lost energy. And that's what we're measuring. Over half of the fuel, over half of the energy from the fuel was producing heat, not moving the vehicle down the road. And now if they got that up to 55, mid 50s, that's a huge increase. And I think that 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 can be viewed as a little deceptive because a lot of the companies I know, Detroit uses it and Cummins uses it on their super trucks is that waste heat recovery system. Right. Did did you read that in there? Yeah, Yeah, using that. And I think a lot of times what they're using it for is, you know, to recover some of the waste heat in the exhaust, and then they use it to like charge the 48 volt battery. So you're like, oh, these, this powertrain is so much better. It's 10% more efficient, but four or 5% of that is used to charge the battery, which one's your radio. Yeah, it's not that they, made engine design changes that made the base engine itself more efficient. They just found ways to recover the wasted heat and use it. I mean, they do, they do improve the engine. Right. Right. Um, but it's a, it's all percentage of that whole, like it's 10% better than the trucks on the road. Maybe 3% of that is, is actual efficient engine. Increases. Right. Uh, the rest is just figuring out ways to recover the heat or, Detroit's turbo compounding, same kind of thing. We're, we're recovering just, heat that just would have been lost. Or I think the other big component is just minimizing loss. I mean, we're not trying to like make it better at this point. We're just trying to like get back some of the stuff we lost through parasitic loss, make more efficient accessory drives, try to make better bearings, stuff like that. Right. I mean, that's where some of that also comes from. Right. It's, it's when you think about it, internal combustion engines been out for over 150 years and we're only at, you know, <laughs> normally 50 percent. Yeah, it's not really good. It's not. You think about it. Right. And, and, and it, you get it better. I mean, are we just, you know, that that's it. You know, maybe we'll get 57 percent, 58 percent. And, you know, is that why the hybrids, the hydrogen, the electronic engines yes. or, or electronic trucks way to go? Because we can't make a internal combustion engine much more efficient than what we are. Correct. It, there, there would have to be some new radical concept, and, and I just don't see that happening. We're down to a game of inches now on fuel mileage with internal combustion engines. We can tweak. And you know what? I'm surprised. We, we've made some pretty big progress in the last couple of years, and I haven't read the article, but that 16 miles to the gallon out of internationals sounds like a pretty impressive number on the surface. Here's the other interesting thing. Again, I haven't read the details, but internationals new engine is a reason it is the way it is, is because there's some people from Volvo now over at international and they're using that same architecture in the new international engine, that new downsped, really heavy bottom end low piston speed. That seems to be one of the the newer concepts that's really improving fuel economy from an engine architecture design. And unfortunately, two of the engines on the market, the Cummins and the Packard, aren't even close. They're almost at the opposite end of that architecture scale. And I don't know what, what they're going to do. Go ahead, Bruce. 
somebody listed put a picture on the internet of all the connecting rods, the Volvo, the ISX, and yeah. so on, and they were all very, very similar. I couldn't see so, where the Volvo was any deeper or heavier well, than you, the X15 one. You can't see it, but you can measure it. it. There's an article somewhere I've got that gives the you know square millimeters of surface area, and there is a pretty significant difference. The the bottom end is is pretty beefy really is but you got you can't see it because some of them are long and skinnier some of them are shorter and fatter so when looking at them it's hard to see but somewhere i've got the statistics on the surface area and there's a fairly significant difference okay and and that 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 beefiness down at the bottom isn't making that engine more efficient it's needed because when we run it at such a low rpm it's really hard on that bottom end so it's not the beefiness that's making it more efficient it's the slower piston speed but because of that running down at 900 rpms you just you're really pounding the bottom end of that engine hard so one of the things of the companies doing this that um, I looked into, Freightliner's not doing the hybrid uh, and basically simply improving everything they have, which is probably something that's going to come to the truck sooner right. than some of this other stuff. They're putting a 13-liter engine in it to, to save weight. It's a 13-speed overdrive, better rolling resistance for the tires, uh, aerodynamic uh, on the truck and trailer. Um, and also what they all said, which kind of struck me as a little bit odd, that they're all going after more efficient AC. Interesting. Yeah. Taking a lot of uh, horsepower, fuel mileage out of, out of the picture. You know, I, some of them are even going with the mild hybrid, shut the truck off as you go downhill. Oh, yeah. And the 48 yeah. system will then run the power steering and the AC unit and stuff like that. Is anybody using stop-start technology like we have in a lot of cars today? I didn't read that if they if they are. Because that was an emission fuel mileage thing in cars. I don't know how you would really do that with the diesel. I mean, it makes sense when you have like a spark plug that you can, you know, because I think that's what they do on the start-stop to get them to start so fast is they spray a little fuel in and then hit the spark plug. But you can't do that on a diesel, so... I'm not quite yeah. sure how that would work. And, you yeah, know, an over-the-road truck yeah. wouldn't stop that off. Yeah, that's true. It, There's not it, a lot of stopping. Over the road, it wouldn't be enough of an advantage. You're right. That that makes sense. Interesting. Or you'd have to have, like, a glow plug. Yeah. That would stay hot all the time. <laughs> so when you didn't it. Back, back to glow plugs. Let's not do that. <laughs> yeah. Really yeah. Nice. yeah. Yeah. Let's not go back there. The one, I don't know if you... I don't know if I talked about this before or you read that piece, but I was reading the super truck program from PACCAR, like the MX side. Mm -hmm. And they were really critical about the cruise control. And they did this whole social study, right? They, they got 20, would you say $25 million, right? 20 million. 20, sorry. You know, makes a big difference. And they're doing like this social study on like what groups of people, like both by like their, ethnic background, like the types of, like their age group and stuff and how they use cruise control and whether they use it or not. So they can help develop like a better cruise control. 
and they had this whole infographic that was kind of I thought a little sus for like a woke world <laughs> about like what groups of people don't use cruise control right. I was like, um, that's a little weird to put in the super truck program, but I can't believe they just waste money on that. That's um, that's kind of sad to see. Yeah, Packard's looking at you know with the truck and trailer a thirty percent weight savings is throughout their going. Now, if you're going to haul 80,000 pounds, it doesn't matter if there's 40,000 pounds on the deck or 50,000 pounds on the deck. But for the guys that haul light and there's only 12,000 pounds on the deck, then the weight savings would make a, a big difference. The truck's being lighter. Right. So it is interesting how they were all going about it a little bit differently. And like I said, what I liked about Freightliner is it kind of just like what they're doing now literally could be in a year or two out on a truck. Um, where the other ones, that's not going to happen. Yeah, exactly. All right. We'll see the beat. Yeah. Anything else? What else we got today? I've got a couple things, actually. That's it for me. Go for it, Kevin. All right. So, AI update, because it kind of is part of what we do here, part of some of the things we talk about. So I have been watching AI. Not ready to start my AI show yet. I was going to, but I needed to back away from some things and take a break. But I saw this. This is one of, I think, a really, really good use for AI. There's going to be a lot of really good things come out of AI, but overall, I think it's not going to be good. But listen to this one. So, you know, how Bruce, what, didn't we just talk about um, glyphosate last week? I think it was last week I told you they spray the crops days before we harvest them. They saturate them yeah. with glyphosate. Now, that may still go on. But the other yeah. thing they do all season long that's, is they, they saturate the fields. Go ahead. Use a term that people know instead of that Roundup. Roundup. Okay, so we'll use Roundup. You're right. And even the crops are referred to as Roundup-ready crops. So they they genetically modify the plant. And people always, even farmers get confused about this, and they will argue with me, and I'm always shocked by this. There is a huge difference between hybridizing a plant or crossbreeding a plant and genetically modifying a plant. And I have had people with huge agriculture backgrounds argue with me about this. And it, it's so, that this, there's no gray area in here. It's one or the other. Plants being crossbred or hybridized go on in nature all the time. Two plants that are similar grow near each other, and one is actually able to pollinate the other, and you get a new variety. It's been going on for a million years. And then humans sped up that process, and it's not always good. Sometimes, you know, we've hybridized fruit to we where now it's got so much sugar in it, it's like candy. But that's still natural. Genetically modified is not crossbred or hybridized. They might be taking a gene out of a frog and putting it into a corn plant so that Roundup doesn't kill it. That, that's, that's what's happening. I'm not sure that's not the correct example. But we take genes out of an animal or a completely different plant. These things could never crossbreed themselves. And that's what GMO is. It is completely unnatural. Our body has no idea what some of this stuff is. And it's a really bad idea, but we don't talk about it. They don't have to label the food as GMO. So we don't even know it when it happens. 
Um, but that's how they make these plants round up ready. They, they splice in genes and create this unnatural plant that doesn't die when you spray Roundup all over it. Well, we could stop that now completely and save the farmers a bunch of money. This is already out on the market. It's already being used. Pretty damn effective. They now have a unit you pull behind a tractor. It covers three traditional rows of crops. And I think it's got, what was it, like 200 lasers on it. And with AI, you pull this thing through the field and it zaps all the weeds with lasers. But it doesn't zap even baby plants. It won't zap them. It can tell the difference. That's where the AI comes in. The a they can teach it what plant needs this many seconds to kill it and what plant might need longer, but it definitely won't kill the crop itself. 80% reduction in the cost of keeping weeds down and no chemicals needed. This is a huge, what I consider a really good use of AI. We'll see how fast it catches on. What I didn't find yet, I haven't seen the initial cost of this thing. I was going to go look that up, uh, but I, I can't imagine if you're if you could cut your weed control down by eighty percent, why you wouldn't do it? And you're not buying chemicals. You, nope. you buy the unit once. Yep. You're not buying chemicals, and when they spray chemicals, they have to watch weather, yeah, wind pattern, yeah. Um, so there are days they're going to go out and can't spray. So yeah, this would be a game changer. Absolutely. This is a weed reduction and weed control is a huge time consumer. They said, what did they say? There was a statistic in here. Um, the laser weeder can eliminate 200,000 weeds per hour and offer up to 80% cost savings in weed control somewhere. Now, whether this is a good thing or not, um, the laser weed does the laser weeder does the equivalent work of about seventy people. But you can't find seventy people that want to work anyhow exactly. nowadays. So. Right? <laughs> yeah, but I, I thought that was uh, pretty crazy. Like I said, they don't give the cost of it in this article, and I just read this a little bit ago. But I'm going to go see if I can find it because uh, that's pretty interesting. All right. I thought I had something else, but I don't see it on my notes. So um, we're going to go to calls because they're piling up on us. Let's go to Mass this time. Chris, welcome to the program. Hey, guys. Um, Kevin, my little sample, they sent in 913173. Oh, boy. Um, I, I know what you're going to say about the silicon. I know. Did somebody get so, into the engine recently? The only thing that it's it's done is an overhead, but that the people I've asked about it, and I spoke to Eric yesterday, and he said no. He said it wouldn't cause that much. Usually, an overhead but, um, doesn't. It it can, it will cause an increase, but not like this. I've got to tell you, I have right. never ever. I I have to think about what this could possibly be and what's happening, Bruce. The silicon level. What's the number? Ninety-two. Wow. I've Somebody never seen anything seen. even kind of close truck? to that. The 19 Cascadia, the 19 Cascadia, the the mileage on this oil is 67,000, and the total miles is it's uh it's now 575. 
And uh, the oil was changed in September of last year. And this thing I didn't mention to Eric yesterday, and I was sorry, lost one of my earbuds. Um, is that I'm the guy, Leroy. I've had the transmission problem, you know, back and forth with gear six, seven, and eight. You know, I've called in a couple times, had that issue, and then I got a new transmission uh, earlier this year, and two months later, the same problem came back. So, with so my truck was down for two months at the, you know, late last year, beginning of this year for all that work and then some other stuff. I mean, I understand the oil is not related to the transmission, but, you know, they had all that opened up. They had the transmission off for a while, waiting for the new one. And then there was a new clutch put in there too. They, they were trying, they thought that maybe that was a problem. Is there any possibility that somehow dirt got in this thing just sitting in the yard it, somehow, I mean, I'm just throwing it out there. I mean, I mean, did they have the oil pan down for some reason? You know, if it's a, a dusty garage and the I, oil pan's off for sure. I, I would want a second sample to verify that it's still high. I mean, yeah. if it still is high, because what if it was collected incorrectly the first time? Like, I would want I, at least another one, if I, not more. I think that's a good point. Here's why. I, I got looking at the sample. Where metals aren't unusual. There's a little bit of aluminum in there little bit of copper iron is are you using the catalyst i just fi- I finished my first gallon well then you, you may have excessive iron i thought it was a catalyst but if you just started a gallon that's not it so maybe there well, maybe well i'm at the end of the, fir- the first gallon but well that's um, what i mean you you, you wouldn't that be it uh, oh. th- we got to remember you changed this oil last year you just started using yeah. a gallon recently, so that may be some of that iron. The the wear metals aren't off the charts, so there's there's one of there's two possible explanations. One, it's a faulty reading, or you know you you got dirt on the tube, or somehow you got dirt in the sample itself, um, or whatever caused this contamination just happened recently. We don't know that either. And, and, and that could be the case. And that's yeah. so I'm with Leroy. I would resample immediately before I spent anything on trying to figure this out. I would just resample. Well, do you have any samples? Is this the only one you've done? Is there a, a history of this or is this the first sample? No, this, this is have? the first one I've ever done. Right. First one I've ever done. Yeah, we don't have. Any and um, I, I, um. I already had, I'm going home for vacation on Saturday and for a couple of weeks and I had planned it's going into the shop on Saturday and, um, there's some other, I mean, they're going to be working on the transmission again, unfortunately, but, um, I was going to bring this to their attention and say, Hey, look at this. And I mean, Eric said something yesterday about, you know, the air filter and the, the tube. And he said, maybe there's, there's a gap that's formed and he said, dirt's getting it through there. I, I, I'm, Maybe not explaining exactly the way he did, but it was no, he's, to that effect. But, he's correct. Um, if, if we have dirt, we have to figure out where it's coming from. It's you know, it's one thing to get it out yeah. of there, get the oil changed, but we need to go figure out where it came from. Right. I, I just think in a well, with a number this high and this so egregious, I just come to question whether the test was. You know, right. Or like like Kevin said, whether the sample was contaminated or, you know, was pulled incorrectly or something. I would want to verify before I did any investigating on the engine. Right. You know, oh, I mean, I can. You know, minor stuff like, you know, inspect your air intake piping, uh, pull the air filter off, make sure it didn't collapse. I mean, that's something you can do yourself without spending much money or time. 
You know, that's it's a quick right. check. That's a lot of dirty would happen. I mean, I can't. I, I mean, I can't imagine because the tube I used was just you know something you get from Harbor Freight, and I mean, I just took it out of the packaging. I hadn't used it before; it was brand new, and I just stuck the tube down in the dipstick tube, you know, the the hose, and sucked it out. That's all I did. I mean, I can't. I mean, I guess there could have been dirt in this brand new tube, but I mean, I I would have thought there wouldn't be. But I mean, I, so, I don't know. So you used the vampire tube, right? Yeah, yeah, it was like an oil pump transfer to thing, you know, doohickey, and you just stick the hose down in the thing and pump it out. A you few know, pumps I, and I pump always, it out. Right. I always wonder: could we have scraped against a side somewhere and picked up? You know, it doesn't take a lot. This is right. a big it's possible. Number. I mean, yeah, that that's all I'm thinking. It's why we really prefer the petcock. You know, on the the OPS makes it super easy to take a sample. You push a button, hold your bottle right. over there, and it's clean. We know it's clean. Using a vampire right. tube, there's always that chance that we picked up some dirt with the tube somewhere. I mean, it's possible. I mean, I'm, I'm open to anything. I, I, would, I but it's concerning it, because I mean, if this. Well, it, I, I'm not all that worried about something like this. It, you caught it. That's the beauty of oil sampling. I've seen people wipe out engines over stuff like this. They do start getting dirt in there. They don't sample, so they never know it. And then they wonder why they're doing an in-frame at 600,000 miles. And a lot of times it's because they had a breach somewhere and didn't know it. So I'm, I'm optimistic about this. You caught it. You're doing the sample. We just have to go first. Hello? First, we just want to verify that it's it's a real problem. That's why I would sample first. If it is, usually finding well, I mean, this is not that big of okay. a deal. It's usually pretty easy to find the problem. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I mean, we're already here Tuesday afternoon and I, uh, I mean, I, I can take some, I find a, a, get a clean jar and put some in there, but I'm not going to have time to get another kit from Pittsburgh power before, you know, that's fine. I mean, just like you said, grab a sample you know, today, order a kit. I, I, this is a lot of dirt. And, and if there is that much dirt in there, we are going to start polishing th- some things, but you've caught it. We're, we're not going to wipe out the engine. Yeah. And and I've seen people do that. So I, I'm optimistic about this. I, I don't think this is a big deal at all. All right. Yeah. I certainly don't want to do that. And um, wipe out the engine, but the potassium, would that be related to the catalyst a little no. bit? No, but um, but don't worry about it. We don't know where either so p- potassium or sodium can both show up on their own. If they show up on their own, we never worry about it. I've never found it to be any kind of a problem. We Our guess is that it just comes from the atmosphere somewhere. A lot of times I find it's people who pull in and out of chemical plants. We see it with them pretty common. Then somebody will say, well, I've never been to a chemical plant. I, I know, but in the winter time. The stuff they put on the roads is either potassium-based or sodium-based, the de-icers. So we see it in the wintertime a lot more, just by itself. When they're by themselves, we ignore it completely. I don't even think about it. When they're together, then it's cooling. Yeah, I, yeah, I strictly run the Northeast, so it, it, that, it, that it could be a possibility. It could have been the, the de-icers all from all last winter, yeah. And what you just say about um, if it's something else, then it, or if it's together, then that's a problem? Yes. You just if, say you, about that? if you have both sodium and potassium high at the same time, that's how we know you have a coolant leak. 
I got you. Okay. But if it's one okay. or the other, then it's nothing. Nothing we ever need to be concerned about. If it's both, it's always a coolant leak. I've never seen any other reason to have both of them. Right. All right. Well, I will order another kit today and I will get some more oil taken out of this thing and, and do it, it again. It's a good see. idea. Yeah, it really is. It, and, and in the meantime, I would still be, when you have a couple minutes, I'd be inspecting that intake system. Yes, will do. And hey, I'm just going to throw this out there again. I know this has been an ongoing thing, and uh, I'm just hoping there's somebody out there listening that this transmission problem, it's driving me nuts. So, I mean, gear six, seven, and eight, it goes in and out of neutral. It's random. And then in addition to that problem that I had before my transmission was replaced earlier this year with a brand new one, and it's back. So I still have that problem. But then now I have other problems that are happening that weren't happening before. So now it will do a, a grinding, scratching noise once in a while when it's downshifting into seventh. And uh, it did it into fifth yesterday, but mostly it's when you're downshifting to seventh. And while I have, it has happened when I've been level and say coming just like to a light, a lot of times it does it when the trucks say in flux, meaning I'm, I'm coming around a corner and maybe I go into a driveway. Uh, there's a driveway that I come into up here in um, Lowell that is sort of that way. Like you come into it in a curve fashion and I've gotten it to do it at that point quite a bit. You know, I mean, it's like a, you know, when it goes into seven, it's only on the downshift too. So that's something new. And then. Uh, so it, that, that it one, clunks and it, 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 so until you said that it last clunks, sentence, uh, I wouldn't have thought of this at all. But based on that last sentence that it's happening consistently in a curve, that almost sounds like it has to be some sort of alignment, um, mount, something is, something is binding in that curve. So that makes it sound like a, a purely mechanical issue to me. Yeah, I, I, I was kind of thinking that too, you know, and I mean, it has done it when I haven't done that, but not right. very often. I mean, I, I'm just trying to find things and try to look at little symptoms and things, clues, no, that's, but that's I, um, you know, I mean, I, I just, yeah, I just can't believe this whole thing. I mean, you know, I know automatics are, are way better now than they used to be. I know the efficiencies, but I never have had a manual whether it was low mileage or near a million that ever had anything like this or these kind of problems. I mean, this problem started at 450,000 miles and I've now got 575 and I have a new transmission and a clutch and I've still got the problem. I mean, it's driving me nuts. So and that, I mean, you know, I mean, I just, it just makes anyway. Yeah. Let me say this, the older auto shifts that were based on the 10 speeds, 13 speeds, 18 speeds, that, group of transmissions, they were identical to the manual transmission. The, the gearing, the architecture, completely identical. All they did was put a shifting unit on that transmission. So the computer shifted it for you. It was the identical transmission. So they were just as durable mechanically. All the problems we had with them were the electronics and the shift actuators and things like that. Now, the newer transmissions, the 12 speeds, the new modern transmissions, those are built from the ground up to be auto shifts. 
They're still manual transmissions, though. So we, we never really saw, I, I don't know, I'll ask you guys in the shop. I never get it on the radio. I don't think I ever had a transmission problem with an auto shift that was mechanical. It, it was almost always electrical. The, the mechanical issues were the same things you could have seen with a manual. Uh, we just don't see them a lot. But it, it was almost always just electronics was the problem. Well, that that brings it up a good um, into my next thing because different people I've spoken to, Dave said this has got to be electronic, you know. And I would tend to agree. And I'm going back to the whole year six, seven, eight thing. But um, I, I mean, I, I don't know what else it could be, you know. And I I'm going to talk to Freightline and I want to drop it off and find out more. What did you not replace? I mean, I mean, I guess I was on the impression your place is a whole transmission. You know, you got everything covered, but apparently I must be wrong on that. You know, I mean, did they replace the range control valve, which I know Leroy in the past has told me he had one one client or customer where that was an issue. And um, I mean, you know, I mean, look, I'm not a mechanical guy. I mean, is there a harness, a wiring harness as part of the, part of it that they didn't replace as part of the transmission? I mean, I don't know. But to me, I mean, I know all these things now, these trucks nowadays are so electronic. It just, you know, I mean, we could be dealing with a stupid wire here. I mean, right. That nobody can find. Uh, yeah. Just anyway. All right. Well, I'll be listening and, you know, throughout the rest of this week. And, you know, I mean, some driver calls in and says, oh, yeah, I heard a buddy of mine. Or, you know what I mean? Just somebody. Yeah. Somebody who just says, you know what? I did have this problem one time. So, yeah, sometimes that's the only way we catch some of these. Let's uh, let's go to Iowa. Exactly. Oh, Matt, welcome to the program. I think I uh, hung up on Pete and Leroy. No, you. No, you didn't. I'm, I'm still here, Kevin, but thank you guys for all your help. I appreciate Holy, it so much. Holy cow. All right. Hold on. I just wiped out most of the board. Um, I have no idea what just happened there. Uh, Pete and Leroy will make their way back in, I'm sure. Um, we'll go on to California. Talon, welcome to the program. Hello? Anybody there? Talon? I hear somebody. Back to your can phone. you hear me now? I can. Go ahead. Okay. Hey, I'm looking at buying a truck right now. I need some advice on it. It's uh, 2003. Hold on. Hold, G6 on. Honored. hold on. Before you tell me about oh. the truck, tell me about the situation. Do you already own trucks? Are you replacing a truck? Are you buying an extra truck? Give me the scenario. I bought a truck the wrong way last year and sold it, and now I'm replacing it. So... Again, I still need a little more information. When you bought that truck last year, was that your only truck? Yes. So you were in business as an owner-operator, then you sold the truck. You must be out of business now, and you're looking to get back in. Yes, correct. Okay, let's talk about, not the truck yet, let's talk about what went wrong the first time. Uh, the truck that Leroy was talking about last week, the deleted Mac, that was my truck and I had the opportunity to buy it back and turned it down. Good choice. But, but hold on. I still want to be clear about this. You owned this Mac and something went wrong in your business because you sold it and got out of business. Is that correct? Uh, I decided I didn't want it because it was a Mac or because it was deleted. Sorry. And then uh, the guy that I sold it to offered to sell it back to me for a discount, and I decided to pass on it. Okay. I, I'm, I'm trying to get to the bigger picture stuff here instead of the details on this truck. So 
You you got out of business because your truck was deleted. Why didn't you just buy another truck and stay in business? That's what I'm trying to get to. Uh, I sold that truck, paid off a bunch of debt, and now I I was been a company driver and remember why I hated being a company driver. No, I, I understand, so but, we, but but we have to face reality here. You attempted to be an owner operator and it went wrong. And so much so that you had to sell the truck and get out of business. Now, one of the things I heard you say was I sold the truck to pay off a bunch of debt. Well, there was that we want to get to the root cause of the problem here. You started a business with a bunch of debt. That's a really bad idea. So that was one of the problems. Uh, Were you tracking? Actually, what happened is right after I bought the truck, uh, I spun a bearing and had to put a new motor in it. So what? And then I... that, that, then that means you probably didn't inspect the truck well enough. What, what I'm trying to get to is... No, I, is, I definitely didn't. I, um, I want you to start looking at what decisions you made that screwed this up, not the random stuff. Well, I spun a bearing. Well, that's going to happen. We, we need to be prepared for that kind of stuff. So I'm trying to help you not make the same mistakes again. The answer to this truck question might be you shouldn't buy a truck. I don't know yet. I'm trying to get to that, though. Were you tracking numbers when you had this other truck? Uh, No, I was not. There's the second huge problem. So what are you going to do different this time? Uh, Well, as a company driver, I've been tracking fuel mileage with fuel gauges, and I plan on using uh, profit gauges from day one as soon as I buy the truck. What's your debt load right now? Uh, Right now, I owe about $10,000, and I have about 30 to play with then you're making a mistake. Why do you have $30,000 cash sitting doing nothing when you're paying interest on $10,000 of debt? Uh, it's a line of credit for $40,000, uh, 40, oh, and there's on. 10 hold, owing on hold, it right now. Hold on. Oh, I, when you tell me I have 30000 to work with and that's all you tell me, I assume it's cash. You have nothing to work with. Zero. You have a $40,000 uh, line of I have credit. About- yeah, which is nothing. Nothing. Your $40,000 worth of credit is a liability, not an asset. It's a liability. It costs you money every time you borrow against it, and you're going to have to borrow against it because you don't have any money. You shouldn't be asking us about buying a truck. You should be asking us about managing your money because I'll tell you right now, I don't care what truck you're looking at. You're not ready to buy it. Not Certainly okay, well, not in this kind uh, of an economy. This, I say this is where I want to start business. This is also the riskiest place to ever start business at the bottom. We, and I tell people, yes, I'm I'm looking at buying at right now is actually cheap enough that I I don't need to run it. No, it's a $5,000 truck. So take the $5,000 and pay off your debt and then start saving some cash. You're doing things in the wrong order. And you're going to fail again. I can almost guarantee it. Well, actually, when I uh, had my truck, I was doing fairly well. Uh, oh, no, you weren't. Uh, if you uh, were, I didn't you pay everything be off. of business. Come on. You need to. All right. Here's what I'm going to do. Um, Bruce, Pete, Leroy, talk to this guy about a truck because I'm not. He's not listening. Okay. John, so, tell him, tell him tell about, me the, about truck. the truck. It's a 2003 Kenworth T600. Uh, it's got a CM570 ISX, uh, and it's got 
a double over 13 speed and it has 411 rear ends but i'll be doing heavy haul with it mm. 250 or er, 150,000 pounds sorry and where do you live uh i live in saskatchewan canada and i'll be hauling to bc so you're going to be in the mountains right yes does it have tall 24-5 rubber yes it does okay so that makes the 411 down about a 370. So that, that is livable. Um, have you ever done heavy haul? Yes, I've been doing that for the last year. Okay. And you're going to be on with the same company? Uh, yes. Well, what's the total miles on that N14? Uh, can't tell me. It has a new ECU in it, and it reset the mileage. It says uh, 90,000 kilometers right now. Why is it so cheap? Uh, the guy that bought it went out of business because he didn't track his numbers. <laughs> and, no, that's that's not why it's so cheap. There's some other reason. Uh, the, the person selling the is, vehicle has nothing to do with the price. It's the market. If this thing would get more on the open market, somebody would buy it for more. So there's a reason it's so cheap, uh, and you should figure out what it is. It's not the most or the best looking truck and it has had mice in it and and it's possible it's got it, two, it was two million a farm miles truck. on it yeah we i'm well aware of that i could find five reasons not to buy this truck and i could find 10 reasons why you shouldn't buy this truck well kevin can i tell you a little bit about my business plan no. with this truck no I don't want to hear it because okay. you're, you're, you're not ready to have a business plan yet i can tell okay. you your business plan has okay. a huge fault okay. The first part of your business plan should be to pay off all your debt and have some cash saved, but it's not. So the rest of your plan is meaningless to me. Okay. Uh, Kevin, there's one other thing. Um, I've been looking. I can't find your course online anywhere. If I go to learn.letstruck, uh, there's nothing there as far as the course that I can find. It, we're in the middle of transitioning. It's now moved over to the tribe site. All of our courses will be free for members now we, we're just not done moving okay. everything over and launching that subscription but there will be a new price on the tribe site there'll, there'll be multiple prices there'll be a nice cheap price like we have now a couple bucks a month um, then there'll be a subscription where you get access to all of our courses free and a bunch of other stuff too so we're in the middle of that transition right now but there's a ton okay. of good business books I could recommend you start reading and listening to to get ready. I have uh, a list of them on Audible, and I've been listening to them. Good. I've got about seven that I, I finished you, and you, ten you, more that are on my list to finish. You know what should be your Bible right now? <laughs> What's that? Soon, when, when our course is ready and you're ready to move on to our course, that will be. Right now, your entire focus on should be... Uh, something from Dave Ramsey, total money makeover, something along those lines is what you should be hyper focused on right now. Uh, I want to try and give you a call on Thursday and go over kind of my business plan and uh, talk to you about that. I don't want to waste the power hour time for that. that but. That's fine. When you do, here's what I want to hear. The first step of your business plan is now, let me ask you what, what is your first plan going to be when you talk to me on Thursday? First step. Uh, come up with a financial plan to get out of debt. Yes, absolutely. We should. And I, I do already have yet. that. Well, no, you well, don't. 
No, you don't. Yeah, and yeah if you I'll, do, I'll talk to you on, on, on it, Thursday about yeah, that. Yeah, if you have a plan, it's faulty because you're already trying to buy a truck, and that's the worst thing you could do for your finances right now. Yeah, okay. All right, talk to you on Thursday. All right, thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. <laughs> Let's. Uh, hey, Pete, Leroy, you guys are back. Sorry about that. I hung up on you. No yeah. problem. I, 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 I knew it. almost cleared the whole board. Every time I clicked on something, it, the, sh- the screen would shift right as I was clicking. And I'm like, I should just stop clicking on stuff. All right. Let's, uh, yeah, let's go to like a do not touch. I know. Let's go to Iowa. Matt, welcome. Good morning. Um, I'll start with, uh, you know, MD alignment. You know what M and D stands for specifically the D I do. Want me to say it, or you want to let somebody else guess? Anybody want to guess? Because, yeah, I know you know. Uh, I do right now. Mike. Diethylpropylene. Oh, Mike and Dottie. Yeah. Mike and oh. Dottie's his wife. Today is Dottie's 75th birthday. Wow. Happy birthday, Dottie. That's awesome. Three yeah. quarters of a century. So, yeah. Um, and, yeah, Mike's couple months younger he'll be 75 in the fall i believe he was saying <laughs> thursday so yeah um, good stuff so mike and i are the same age then yeah yeah well and my mom's uh, what are you bruce you're 74 75 in february okay yeah my mom's 73 so she's a year and a half behind you so I could be your dad. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yeah, well, yeah, my dad, he was born in 48. So, yeah, he'd be right there. Yeah, I was born in 49, so. February 12th, same day as Lincoln. Oh, okay. Uh, The main reason for my call is, Kevin, yesterday you had a caller with a very interesting idea about anti-idling with air conditioning and trying to hook it up to the truck system. Yeah. It's like putting an electric motor on the existing pump. I I love the train of thought. Right. And I love the idea, but I'm going to tear it apart. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head. It'd be overly complicated. That's what I thought. And I, you know, at first my thought was why nobody's ever thought about this. Nobody ever brought it up to me or, or people have thought about it and they thought it through and figured out that it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So uh, to fill the rest of the guys in, be like adding another clutch off the front and putting an electric motor on it and then running, you know, like a Honda generator to power this motor to turn the AC compressor when the truck is shut off. That part of it is probably the simplest part and that wouldn't be easy. No, it'd be difficult. Um, really difficult. Yeah. So th- then about the high pressure switches you need to put an electric fan on the condenser he was only talking about to run the electric fan in the blower motor right you also need you know your high pressure oh that's right and all that's run through the ecm this gets more complicated so this would be an electrical nightmare to have a dual system and to switch back and forth between them every time you park for the night or for the you know couple hours whatever i i like I say, I love the train of thought, and it would be a cool thing if somebody could make it work, but I, that's difficult. Yeah, it, it's just overly complicated when there are much easier solutions available. Yeah, so, that's, uh, yeah. I mean, if you're 
Yep. Go if you're going to go the route of a Honda generator, then just the the room standalone AC inside the the bunk, I think, is the way to go. Or the it, mounting on the back wall. Right. And, and you still like have company drivers have the blower motor too. That, but. Right. And he did talk about that. He said, you know, he'd wire it to power the the interior blowers to move the air around. So he had thought about that. I mean, he had thought it through. Uh, It's just that it and it took me by surprise. I mean, I had to really stop and think, uh, why have I never heard of this or thought of it? But as soon as I started thinking about it, I thought, wait a minute, man, you're going to have to mount stuff off the engine there's not much room we it's just it just got more and more complicated and i wasn't even thinking about the ecm well yeah because that's all that is powered with the key switch you have to bypass that to power it back up yeah and you know relays and yeah i mean leroy could probably go into more detail but you know if you thought about it enough but it's not easy but that is the kind of thinking that does lead to solutions yeah, I, I don't think I'd even put the belt on and add the extra clutch. I would just drive it directly all the time. Why add the extra clutch and then the extra What do you mean, drive it all the time? How would you? Is that what the guy means? Like, electric. typically, the belt drives it, so then he'd have a clutch that would disconnect it from the belt off the front and then have an electric motor that would run it. Is that what the yeah, guy was saying? Yeah, he's trying to turn the yeah, air conditioning was, uh, pump without turning everything else. Oh, well, that's what I mean. I would just... Just take the the belt off it completely, and then it, since it's already coupled to the motor, just run it when you need to. Even if you're going down the road, just have another controller turn the motor on. Why why have it go through the bother of clutching it and unclutching it? Well, I so, mean they're already doing stuff like, you know, like water so, pump and stuff. No, like I, water I, I want to understand what you're saying because I think I'm missing something. He's parked, and when he's parked, he wants right. to run that air conditioner. If you didn't have a belt yeah. and a clutch, how do you, how would you run the air conditioning pump? Well, didn't he say he wanted an electric motor on the front of it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he wants... So you're yeah. saying, yep. how would you do it then? Just run it that way all the time. Yeah, just run it that way all the time. Eliminate the belt. belt. Oh, oh. System. I see what you're saying. Oh, yeah. Which is part of the super truck. They tried to take all the accessories off the engine and start running them off electric. So, yeah, I, I get that. Yeah, oh, so you're right. Thing, yeah. That That would make more sense. Don't create a dual system. Just create a new system. That it always runs off an electric motor. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or you could just buy the yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. Now that's making a lot more sense. It, for it you. is. You put yeah. An electric fan <laughs> right. on the condenser, and you run that as its own system instead of trying to switch back and forth. Cause, yeah, so that's yeah, that whole just, system with your blower motor, everything would have to be separate. Well, so, the, the blower motor, you can run with just the key on. Well, you'd have to have a so, separate circuit, but then the AC would just be on standalone thing. If we think about this, if that if that's the idea, you don't even have to keep it under the hood, right? No. It could be anywhere on the truck. Yeah, and the next thing you know, you have one that's mounted to the back of the cab. That's what I mean. Yeah, you could you could just <laughs> which is which is where we're going anyway. We already have that's what I mean. We already have these options. The only difference I know. The only difference is well, let's think about this for a second. If you have a, a back-of-the-cab, battery-operated AC, why not take all that AC crap off your engine? Right. Why do, Why haven't we thought of Other that? Other than uh, charge-discharge cycles and, well, I guess you could have a, a switch in there so you could 
switch it from the batteries to running off the alternator once the truck is running. Right. You know, there, this, this idea may turn into something. We might learn something from this. As crazy as the idea was to do it the way he was thinking, we're all starting to think something new. And I'm thinking if we have these secondary AC systems that we use when we park, why not get rid of the primary AC system? Yeah. I mean, but I, I just don't know how much that adds. Like that accessory probably takes 20, 30 horsepower. I guess that's 20, 30 horsepower yeah. back in the system, but... Yeah, so the difference here is is even if we aren't quite as efficient going down the road, and we might not be, we now have a better option for when we're parked. And and when you take that AC pump off, we're gaining something. Yeah, and I think that's the idea with the 48-volt the system on the super right. truck is you just right. have weight heat recovery that charges this higher voltage battery, and then that runs a lot of these um, accessories that typically just waste fuel. And, and this isn't new. I talked about this a long time ago, back in the nineties, cat and might've been a uh, pack car at the time built a truck like this with n- nothing ran off the motor, nothing ran off the engine at all. They took every accessory they could off the engine and ran it on electric instead, but it never caught on. Right. And well, it, uh, it may have just been battery technology like wasn't good a- enough. Yeah, Cat did it with a pony motor, so they did a little, like an APU that ran all the time, even when you're driving down the road. Right. To power everything. So. And that was yeah, probably alternator, because... Alternator, AC, everything came off. Yeah. Battery technology wasn't good enough back then to even attempt it. I think battery technology is better now. We wouldn't have to run a pony motor to do that. And I, I think it just comes down to where you get your, your energy from. Because whether it's attached to electric motors or yeah. it's attached to the front of the engine, still energy. it takes so right. many watts to do that. And where you get it from makes all the difference. If you get it from fuel and it's cheaper that way, then it, that's well, great. But if well, you can get some sort of recovery system, whether it's from the exhaust or kinetic energy recovery or something, or, or solar. Now, start- solar up on the trailer. That's a huge yeah. surface up there for power. solar. Yeah. Well, and that's the route when my tri-pack ever takes a crap that I'm going to go. I'm, I already own a thousand Yeti, uh, you know, solar generator that we don't have any use for anymore, really, other than for an emergency. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I did have electric installed out of my land, and that's what originally we were just using it while camping. Right. Uh, that is going to go in the truck and solar on the roof, and I'm going to... Instead of having an APU, I'll just run that Yeti with there you go enough fans and yep. the refrigerator, everything off of that, and solar charge it. There you go. Good stuff. Hey, I just looked at the board, and we are loaded with calls. We've got to get to some. So, Matt, I'm going to cut you loose. We're going to head off to Alberta. Ben, welcome to the program. Ben, are you there? Morning. Oh, there you are. Go ahead. Morning, guys. Hey, uh, while I was on hold there, I was just thinking, Kevin, you're absolutely right on them uh, them GMOs. I actually work on a farm, and uh, they not only spray them with glyphosate, uh, that plant is so receptive to insects and bugs and yeah. you name it. <laughs> it's crazy. They have to spray that stuff constantly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, doesn't this laser sound like a great idea for weeding? 
I wish somebody would make a small one for my garden. I've I've never heard of that laser, but I've heard of the new equipment has a, um, unless it's probably the same thing. It has kind of a, a cameras and it detects uh, green vegetation and it only sprays where there's weeds. Yeah, it would be the same type of uh, thing. So but, at least uh, they're controlling the spraying there. But if there's something that we can de-weed that's not a chemical, I'm all for it. You know what I actually use if if my weeds kind of get out of control in the garden? Normally, I, you know, I keep up with it. And in some places, I'm letting weeds grow. I, I don't know that it's all that much of a problem as we thought it is, especially in really organic farming. So in some places, I'm not weeding. We're just letting the weeds grow, and it's an experiment. We'll see what happens. Um, but when I do, if they really get out of control, I have a big propane torch. I've got a propane tank on right. a little two-wheeler and, and a big hand torch. And I go around and I torch all the weeds. Better than chemicals and it's faster than trying to pull them all. But I think this laser is an awesome idea. Yeah. But put it this way. If there's plants growing, the plants that you want growing, there's no weeds. There's no room for weeds. So you just got to have something seeded, that, something growing. You know, I, so in my, my big tomato patch in the garden, I've got like 80 tomato plants um, so I put down a heavy cover of hay as, uh, as mulch and that works fantastic, but that hay is loaded with seeds and it sprouts all kinds of stuff under there. And normally I would rake all the hay out, weed the whole thing, put the, hay. this year I'm just letting that stuff grow. Um, I'm just going to see what happens. Yeah. But anyways, uh, I heard you guys talking last week. Leroy was talking about deletes, and uh, it got me thinking. Uh, I think, yeah, Leroy knows what truck we're talking about, and Bruce, uh, 2004 Mac, uh, yeah. been working on, on it for a while. On the exhaust Atlantic. system? Yeah. And I've been working on it for a while. There's like two or three boost leaks. Uh, VGT turbo line was leaking, and started running the catalyst. Put on your guys' muffler, and... It's performing like much better, but I was just thinking it it, it has been deleted. Uh, it's got EGR, and uh, I'm just wondering. Uh, um, the reason it was deleted because of a mass airflow sensor. And could Leroy touch on that? To, what what does that sensor do? Uh, so the ECM needs to know the quantity of air coming into the engine. Um, so the mass airflow sensor resides in the intake and gives the ECM that number of how much air is coming in. Right. And I'm thinking of bringing it back to stock and it would, uh, it would motivate me more to do it if I could get you guys to hook up to it and tone it. And uh, how would we know that you guys could tone that for me? I mean, what's the easiest way to find out? I mean, I think we've looked that up before and I'm not sure if I quite have the equipment yeah. to um, that's the only problem. It's just, it's not whether I can or can't. It's just, I, if I don't have the equipment, the only other option is to build some sort of like uh, machine that will pull the EEPROM memory directly. And that's just not worth it. Right. Cause I know you've been working on Max before and or are you just wondering if you have the same plug to hook up to it or is it some other equipment that you need? No, it's not necessarily like equipment that exists that, um, I don't have, it's just like the software for 
the hardware. Okay, so how it works is there's a hardware box that connects to the ECM, and then there's some software in there that connects to the memory chip and says, all right, I want to read your content. It reads all the contents to the hardware and then sends it to the laptop, right? So I have the hardware, and if I have your ECM, but the software inside of that box that asks it to read the memory doesn't exist. So the, the company that makes the tool, they're not really interested in working on those engines just because they're old and they don't see a lot of them. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I get it now. But you still think it's worth bringing back to stock? Uh, like the EGR, it would perform better than it does now? Uh, perform better in what way? Uh, like... What what what's happening is the the lightning bolt is still on constantly, and I'm thinking the ECM like it's not letting the ECM perform since it sees that lightning bolt since it's been deleted, and I'm wondering if it would actually perform. Yeah, better, it, it depends know. on what is going on inside the ECM. So generally, what happens is you have I've talked about before multiple operating modes in an ECM. You have sort of normal mode, like highway mode, urban mode. Um, and then your protection ones, whether it's protection from overheating the engine, protection from oil pressure, or in this case, it's protection from loss of EGR. And when it goes into loss of EGR mode because it's been deleted, those modes are not optimized for running the engine without EGR. They're sort of fail-safe modes just to sort of get you around. And yeah, it's still it. your best at controlling knocks. So if yeah. we're trying to control the knock output with the EGR valve, and we don't have one, the only other result we have is to retard the timing by a lot. And that does not uh -huh. equate to good fuel mileage, good performance, or anything like that. So, yes, putting yeah. it back to stock may bring back some performance. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, it got me thinking last week you were talking about that deleting an engine with EGR affects it more than than it does just deleting the DPF and and Yeah, whatnot. right. Okay, well, that answers my question. Appreciate it, guys. You're welcome. Yep, of course. Right. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Detroit this time. Keith, welcome to the program. Hello. I'm calling about my oil sample. I think I sent there's, it in earlier. There's um, nothing to talk about. Right. I, I kind of I knew that, actually. But uh, <laughs> magnesium, I obviously, is nothing to... You always say nothing to worry about with the additive package, correct? Yeah, so I'll just repeat it because this needs repeating. So if you're looking at an OPS or a Polaris sample, on the top row, you have wear metals as a category. So if you look at the top heading, wear metals are a category. Those are always important. The next one, contaminant metals. Those are always important. The next one, multi-source metals and additive metals. I wish they would take it off the oil sample. In 20 years of looking at oil samples, I've never used either one of these sections other than to try to tell somebody not to worry about it. I waste so much time telling people, don't worry about the numbers over there. I just wish they would take them off the sample. Or I wish somebody would explain to me why they're even there and why they matter. Pete, you look at a lot of oil samples. Have you right. ever used those two blocks? No, not at all. There's nothing not all. there, right? Nothing we can do anything about and nothing that has ever shown a problem. I don't know why no they're still there. Right. Right. Uh, some, and here's why. Um, some oils have magnesium, some might not. Some oils have molly, some might not. Every 
manufacturer uses a different additive package. And that's all these are. I've even taken the same oil bought in two different places and run it through oil samples clean. And it comes back with different numbers, all kinds of crazy different numbers in the additives. It just, it never makes sense. Right. Okay. I, I kind of knew that because I've listened long enough, right? But uh, yeah, yeah. Just I, so I, I wish they would just take back it off. history on the engine, though. Right. The reason why I mean, obviously, I want to do the oil samples to make my engine last as long as possible, and uh, I've been using a lot of oil, so I was worried about uh, what do you want to call it uh, combustion in the oil, and it doesn't look like there's any even combustion stuff in the oil. Is that no, correct? Am I reading that correctly? You are. Um, what we would normally look for um, is soot, and you've got 0.2. Um, fuel dilution, you're at 1.4. There is nothing bad going on in the cylinder itself. But here's the other thing we have to remember. Um, you had 27,000 miles on this oil sample. Now, you show zero added oil. But you're telling me it uses a lot. That's incorrect. Okay. How much oil did you yes. add during when the When I did the paper, there was no, um, there was five gallons. It was, well, actually probably more than that. Because I started out like four grand gallon, four miles, hello, 4,000 miles for the first gallon. And then incrementally, it got up to like 2,000 miles per gallon. That, so, that, I mean, the oil consumption went up quite a bit the longer I had the oil in there. And that always seems to happen. And I've never had anybody give me a really good explanation for why. The The most likely thing they'll say is, well, it gets dirty, then it will burn more. I, I don't know exactly why that happens, but it's fairly common. And and what you're telling me right now, that the reason this oil sample is so clean is not because there's there aren't any contaminants. It's because you're putting brand new oil in it every 2,000 miles. Of course, it's going to be clean. Yeah. So this, the, the sample, I, I right. hate to say this, but sampling at this point of this engine's life is almost worthless. I wouldn't waste the money. This thing's due for an in-frame. You're, you're living on borrowed time. So yeah, it, but, I, but hold on. I, wanna, I worry about that I, I, I continuously. Want to, I want to put out a public service announcement here. I almost missed this. The, I looked at the paperwork. It says zero added. If I would have seen five or six gallons there, this call would have gone different right from the very beginning. So filling out that paperwork is important. There's no place on the paper to put gallons added. Yeah, there is. Yes, there absolutely is. It's always on the paper? been there. I yes. didn't see it. It's always been there. I didn't it's see like it. It's like zero. There's a, there's a place to add that. Um, I think after the mileage, you'd put um, mileage on your oil, the, the unit time, which is how many miles are on the engine. And I think the next space is the, um, did you add any oil to it? That sounds right. And and yeah, I must the, have missed the thing because I did not see it. Yeah. So we always try to question people to get to that kind of information. But a lot of times we'll just miss that. And, and I probably would have missed it if you wouldn't yep. have mentioned that the engine uses so much oil. So honestly, I, I would almost ignore the sample. You, you can't any good information when you're putting in new oil every couple thousand miles. Okay. So um, Wonderful. You, you want me just to put you on hold so you can schedule your in-frame with Pittsburgh Power? <laughs> I'd love to, right? But... Uh... <laughs> It's time. Ain't gonna happen today, right? No. Yeah, it, it's time. You are you are definitely yeah. living on borrowed time. Sounds good. 
All right. That's what I wanted to know. All right. Thanks for the call. Let's go to. Thanks. Oh, wait a minute. You'd think I'm a rookie here on the board today. I don't know what's going on. Let's uh, let's go to Missouri. Jay, welcome to the program. Jay, are you Hello? with us? Yep, it's your turn. Go ahead. Can you hear me now? We can. A couple of comments before my question. Uh, thank you again for your time. Uh, all the things you folks do for us out here. Uh, I feel for the earlier caller with the Cascadia. Uh, if I've got one of those, and that's going to be my question. But I, if it helps anybody, if I didn't own a W900 that gets poor fuel economy, I think I'd be out of business just from a downtime standpoint. But to my question, I've got a 2015 Cascadia with a DD15. It's got new remanufactured emission filters in it. And the problem it keeps having is it overdoses the death all the time. And I do run the max mileage catalyst. But uh, my problem is the overdosing of the mechanics that work on it. The troubleshooting tree keeps coming back to that. Uh, it's got three new dosers and a new pump. And I still have to stop and do a parked regen uh, twice in 2,500 miles. Any ideas? Well, what? When you say it's, uh, the def is overdosing, what? Well, why do you say that? Is it throwing a code for that? Do you see it in your def mileage? Do you see buildup? What do you see it? That, that's what the mechanics who work on it, the, the troubleshooting tree keeps coming back to, is that it's overdosing. And that's why they say it, it requires a parked regen every 2,500 miles. Uh, but they can't figure out why it's overdosing. Uh, yeah, something's not really adding up there. Um, That's what I think. I just wonder yeah. if there's something in the ECM or, or the computer part of that thing that they're not able to identify yet. Or if that's so, and if I did a remote a remote hookup with you, if you can see in there better than the technicians can. So when they when they say it's overdose, they're saying it's deaf for sure. They're saying it's overdosing on deaf, and that's causing you to have frequent regions. Correct. All right. And these, these parked regions, are they like sort of forced parked regions, like the lights blinking, it's, it's real upset? Yes. And it, it derates. And uh, and then, of course, if you get to a place where you have to stop, then it won't shift out of second gear. You know, it'll keep going for a while. It'll derate you and it'll keep going. But as soon as you come to a stop sign, then you're derated down to next to nothing. And you're forced to do the regen there. Yeah, no, that, 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 that's not making it because the, the DEF is for the SCR system. The SCR system is to remove NOx, right? The DPF system, right. it uses regens to clear the filter of soot. They are, they are all in one box, but they are sort of two separate pieces, if that makes any sense. Right? Like sort of like okay. the exhaust manifold and intake manifold are attached to the same engine, but they have two different functions. You can sort of okay. think of a DPF and SCR like that. So the only time I've ever seen an issue with depth, like as far as overdosing, is it will throw a check engine light for SCR um, at maximum closed loop control, which basically means I'm deafing as hard as I can and I can't deaf anymore. But if you're getting a forced park regen every 55 engine hours or say 2,500 miles, that's about, that's about 50 engine hours. 
that that's not a deaf thing. That is that's something else going on. Whether it's the sensors aren't reading right, differential pressure, you're getting a lot of foot buildup. Yeah, it's pretty extensive. Uh, injector, like you said, there's a bunch of things that can sort of cause that. But yeah, really, the, the deaf oh, injecting too much is not the um, not the cause. I mean, think about the older range. They only had a DPF system. They didn't have an NPR. And they still had two frequent regen problems, and it had nothing to do with the DEF. Uh, the DEF injector okay. is behind the DPF, so it doesn't matter if it just sprays a little hard out. It's not going to affect the DPF. Uh, okay. Yeah, it, it, it's it, something else. You know, it, and it feels like this problem started right after we put in the new remanufactured filters. Uh, they came from Freightliner. Uh, I guess they're Freightliner certified, if, if I understand it properly. Um, but it feels like it started right after we put in clean filters. Yeah, I mean, that could be you have an issue with, I mean, the filter itself, which is sort of unlikely. Um, I don't think I've ever seen That's what they tell. And filters. Um, it could have an exhaust leak when they put it in. Um, that will throw off the pressure readings if it's uh, when they were installed. If like the gas leaks, they will put in their, you know, crooked, stuff like that. Again, bump sensors, because they bump the pressure tubes. Those don't have pressure tubes, never mind. But um, just, just stuff like that. So I would be looking there whenever they put it in, see if there's any sort of evidence of... I would check exhaust leaks first before I go anywhere, or bump okay. harness, rub harnesses, things like that. Maybe they put it all back together I, and harness rubs somewhere. I know they've spent a lot of time checking down the, the tracking down the wiring, and they're confident that that's not a problem now. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I don't know what's wrong well, with your truck. No, it's not the death. <laughs> okay. Well, if you don't mind, one more question. Uh, uh, I've got a W900. I love the truck. It, of course, it's got an Acer CAD in it, but the fuel mileage is a, is a kick in the pants, without a doubt. It averages about what is it? miles a gallon. Uh, it's an 07 W900 uh, with an Acer CAD and NXS. Uh, I can get about six miles a gallon. With the tune, approximately, what do you think we could pick up for mileage? Um, what rear gears do you have? I, I would uh, say three forty-twos. With the eight thirteen, once we get uh, get rid of the, the split injection stuff, we can usually pick up a good chunk of mileage. Uh, I know it's going to sound unbelievable, but the the eight thirteen, you shut that off, you usually gains around a half. So I would say you could probably get around six and a half. That's one of the few tunes I would say that. I would almost guarantee mileage because it works that well. Okay. Well, if I could get that mileage up high enough, I could make that Freightliner problem go away and just be done with it. But it, it is all about the fuel mileage. Right. Well, it's not all. And down. Well, well, it's not all about the fuel mileage. Of course, downtime on that Freightliner has just been terrible. Like I said, I I feel for the other guy that's that only has one truck out there. I would be out of business if I didn't have a W900 to drive. On on your on your Kenworth, do you still have the uh, stock mufflers on it? Uh, no, it's straight pipes. Okay. What size pipes? Uh, the standard five and a half. Okay. All right. That's good. So it's 342 gears. What size tire? Uh, 24.5 loafer. And what's your cruising speed with that truck? I've tried a lot of different speeds but i i come back to it seems to run best at right at 64 65 mile an hour at 1300 rpm 
We can believe I've that. tried to go slower in different gears, and it just doesn't seem to run run good anywhere else. And on the level, loaded with the turbo boost. Approximately 15 to 18. Yeah. So you got to get an Acer down under 12 PSI to get fuel mileage. Okay. And that's something that Tune will help with. Tune will help and uh, check the rolling resistance of your tires. What's the gap? What kind of trailer do you pull? I've got a big gap, long wheelbase, big gap. Uh, pull different trailers, uh, sometimes flatbed, sometimes van, but I do have a big air gap with the van trailer. I haven't measured it, but it's a lot. You know, they say air can only jump 36 inches at highway speed. <laughs> well, I've got more than that, yeah. Okay, well, I guess we'll just keep fighting that Freightliner for the time being. Uh, it, I guess I, I'll just keep driving, and hopefully the problem gets bad enough to where they'll find us someday. What are you getting you for don't fuel know mileage with the Freightliner? That one averages eight. Uh, and you don't, you're not confident that if you were able to plug into that Freightliner that you'd be able to check the, the computers in that Yeah, I mean, system. we can look through it and maybe just come up with some sort of game plan. But, uh, yeah, typically it's not just going to be like, oh, I'm right here, I'm the problem. Sometimes it is, but most of the time I can just give you a direction to go. Okay. Good. Well, I'll keep hammering. Uh, thanks for your help. All right. Thanks yep. for the call. Um, hey, Bruce. Yes. Are you familiar with the new Lordstown Motors company? No. So it's not far away from you there. Um, I grew up right there. Lordstown was the big GM plant right. for years and years. They closed it down. Mm-hmm. Um, a company bought it and started building electric pickup trucks. And it's called Lordstown Motors. That was the name of the company. They actually built 31 pickup trucks for sale. They did a big deal at the White House when Trump was in there. They, you know, Trump made a big deal about them and they announced the company and all the investment and um, they're going out of business. They are. What about Rivian? Rivian. No, they, they still, they're struggling. I see a lot of those things on the road. I'm surprised. They've sold quite a few of them, I think. Um, This company only manufactured 31. Actually, it'd probably be pretty cool to get your hands on one of those 31 trucks. I'd like to have one Um, just to save. Um, But we're going to see a lot of this. This this is what makes me crazy about this big push towards electric. As much as I think it has a lot of potential, we're screwing it up. We're wasting so much money. And and it's mostly because the company in Lordstown... Did they buy that huge plant, that entire plant? Yep. They bought, they oh paid. God, where'd uh, they get the money to buy? So they, uh, it's a company called Foxconn um, that made all the investments in this. Uh, they paid, where was it? And then I saw that, like 200 and, they paid $230 million for the plant. Uh, and then they were investing another hundred and seventy million into the company, um, but they're they're basically broke right now. Their share price is under a dollar a share, and they're filing for bankruptcy. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, but but this is this is what happened Somebody. with the first big push on solar. All these companies took a bunch of government money and then went out of business, and that's what's happening again with these vehicle companies. You know, that, that article on the super truck, too, 
they even mentioned that that you know the full electric vehicles are years off. Yeah, it's it's I years off. Yeah, they're they're they should be years off from being on the road as passenger cars. But man, everybody's doubling down. I see. BMW brought out five electric vehicles. Mercedes brought out five electric vehicles. They are putting a lot of effort into these things. Again, I asked somebody else here in the eastern shore of Maryland. Uh, he was an engineer for someone. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. He is in with a big law firm, and they buy up law firms, and he has two Teslas. And he's not quite as old as I am. I said, when was the last time you saw a power plant being built around here? He said, without hesitating, 1972. <laughs> and that's the last one I saw in Western Pennsylvania was 1972 because I was with Bankard Heavy Haul and we hauled a lot of the stuff into there. And if you think of the population and the amount of cars on the road in 1972 compared to today, there's about four times the cars. So if we don't have the electricity, you can build all you want. I know. And like I say, I don't mind companies working on this. Use your own damn money. We shouldn't be using taxpayers' money for all this crap because this is common. They take a bunch of money. They go out of business. It happened with solar. Now it's going to happen with cars. And unfortunately, it puts this technology decades behind. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guy down the street from me has a new Lucent, and it's beautiful, and I, I would like to have one, and it'll go 500 miles on a charge, he said. So that gets me to Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, I, I've said it before, and I know we're getting closer. Solid-state batteries will be the game-changer for a lot of reasons. The, the weight, the safety— and the charging time and the amount of energy required to charge a solid state battery is significantly less. So that, that I think will be the big game changer. When we get a production solid state battery, I think things will change, but that may not happen. I mean, sometimes you work and work and work at these things and you can't make that one breakthrough and nobody's really seemed to have made it yet. Yeah. All right, let's go back to the phones. Let's go to South Carolina. Terrence, welcome. What's up, Joe? What's up, guys? I got a quick thing on that Foxconn, though. They did the same thing in Wisconsin. They bought a whole bunch of uh, property up there, and then uh, they were going to build stuff for, like, app making Apple phones, and then it fell through. So I don't know if that's the same Foxconn that it bought is. that, uh, it you is. Know, yep. that Lordstown plant. Same company. Okay. Yeah. All right, so... Yeah, it did that town ugly. I mean, they, everyone was starting to sell stuff because they were thinking they're going to have this big company come in. But <laughs> yeah, as far as the uh, that guy with the trans the, the guy with the transmission, we run I, I, one company driver down South Carolina, and uh, we have these auto shifts, and so we have nothing but problems. They did mine already. What I found out is we get a lot. I get a lot of water down here in my air tanks, a lot, and a lot of these are air actuated, the switches and all that. So I tell my boss, and, and the only time they worry about, they tell us about the air tanks is when it gets, the weather changes, when it gets cold, like January, you know, you get a little bit of cold down here. But I tell him, I say, there's more water in there now. He doesn't like, you don't like Yankees. So he don't, anything that comes out of my mouth, he don't listen. He don't hear, he don't hear me. But long story short, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm draining these tanks. Every day I drain my tanks because there's two, 
There's three tanks on it. There's a front one and one behind it, and then there's another one on the other side. The two on the, on the driver's side are the ones where all the water is. And I'm, I'm got to be taking, I would say, at least a half a gallon a day out of them. And, oh and the weird thing about it is the way they, is the way they have these air dryers mounted, the filter is on top. The filter is on the bottom. So like behind the cab, because it was a dump bucket, so behind the cab where the, where the hydraulic tank is, there's a uh, the filter, and, and it's underneath the catwalk, but the filter is standing upwards. You know, so you can, take, you can take the catwalk off and turn the filter off from the top. And I even said to him, I said, that's, I don't think that should be that way, because if you want something to filter, you want it to go to the bottom, right? Uh, I mean, it's only, I'm just trying to see if it makes sense, right? Anybody have any thoughts? And we, so we've been that way for quite a while. There's a filter on top, and we generally don't see a lot of water issues. And I, I, truck, I, mean, I, I was in Wisconsin. Go ahead, Kev. Is this truck using coolant at all? No, no. I thought the same thing too. I, I don't put a, I don't put a lot of coolant in. We had a couple of them, the Packers, that was using coolant, and they were finding out, but. Like I had the, the truck I had before this was a, was a 10 speed. This one's a 12 and that one used a lot of coolant and I had a lot of water in there, but they figured they, they figured that one out. And then anyway, we got rid of those. They got new ones, but these ones down here, they're, they're loaded with water. And I hear a lot of people calling in about this because my transmission was doing the same thing. That guy was, was jumping from like, if I was in 12, it would drop down and you would hear all sorts of noises. Like kind of like even, even my PTO does it. That's how I know when I got water in my tank, I go to flick my PTO on, to engage my, to raise my bucket up and you can hear it grind. You hear it. It takes a little bit and then it kicks in and then I drain the water out. And the next time I go to flip the switch, I don't have that noise. It doesn't have that lag in it. So I believe a lot of these, you know, with the pack cars and all that, with the transmission, it's definitely waters in the tank. Nobody drains their red tanks anymore. Well, I watch the guys at our place, they come, they walk in, they go right in to open the door up, turn the key on and that and then just drive down the road. So it's it's more like a maintenance thing to drain the air tank. So I'm thinking these air dryers aren't working as good as they used to, in my opinion. So I don't know if that guy wants to mm. check his check his air tanks out. All right, let someone else get in there. All right, thanks for the call. Let's go to Arizona. Jeremy, welcome. Hi, hi, hi. Um, didn't you have or offer a uh, back to the basic type book or? Something like that when you do what now? Yeah, we've talked a couple times. We've done back to the basics. They want okay. Like a yeah, I didn't know if it was out available or anywhere, but uh, that's that I heard you guys mentioned it one time. But uh, if, how you, about, how about if you a, if you yeah. if you go on our website and look at the articles that we've written, uh, and you get the first first couple of years, that was all good basic stuff. Okay. Um, yeah, I was going to ask a super basic question about uh, uh, fuel water separator. Uh, should I be draining that? You know, let's say it's a fairly new filter and, uh, you know, it's all like filled up. What kind of truck is it? It's a newer truck, you know, 2021. It's a uh, Cummins, I mean, X15. All right. Is there a drain on the filter? Yeah. Yeah, there is. There is. There's, there's, a, there's, couldn't quite where they have the label. I can tell they're telling me how to do it. I just can't see because it's 
curve towards the front of the truck, you know, right up. So if you put a glass jar under it and drain it, are you seeing any water? It looks like fuel to me. What, what, will I know the difference? Will it all be mixed? Yeah, the, if, there, if you drain out, say, uh, two inches of fuel into a glass jar, the water will lay on the bottom because it's heavier than fuel. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I, you so know, I if you don't see any, I, I, but I haven't drained water out of a diesel engine, out of diesel fuel for years. It's yeah. hard to get the water out. The, the water is emulsified in the fuel, and, and the water separators don't work like they used to, where you could actually see the water drip out, and you'd see water at the bottom of the, the filter, and you'd simply drain it. Um, if water's a concern, you can always put a, uh, a dispersant in there. It, it, it's uh, an additive into the fuel, and, and then the, the water will separate that point a little easier. Pete, yeah. what's causing it to be emulsified? The pressures. Um, the biodiesel holds a lot of water. There's always biodiesel in there. The pressures of the fuel system. So it's normal to be uh, kind of full, three-quarter full, or, you know, Sometimes it might fluctuate. It's just normal the way it goes. We do see that more and more, yeah. Don't really drain it anymore. Okay. It's hard to get the water to separate. But if you're concerned about water, which is an issue, um, you know, there, there's some additives you can put in there to disperse it. One will make a drop to the bottom of the tank, and then you can let the truck sit overnight um, and see if there's much in there and then drain it off, suck it out, or you know, get it out some way. Um, other ones encapsulate it and let it go through the system without hurting anything. Yeah, it wasn't so much I was concerned. Well, my wife and I, you know, butt heads a lot on things, but, you know, tires and certain things that we, we noticed. And, you know, uh, wait, uh, years back, you know, we had worked with somebody who's like, oh, yeah, that's full drain it, drain it, you know. But, and we haven't messed with, you know, worried about it in years. So we never were, you know, trained. So we just kind of, I, I was trying to say, before we just drain it just because someone told us to. Um, and we should find out how it actually works. So, because uh, I've noticed it go up and then, you know, months months will go by and then it kind of comes down, you know, and uh, starts working. Seems like the bills are working. Yeah, they're, they're working. It's just uh, it's hard to get the water out. Okay. Why would it be full? Why would it fill up? Well, so your paper element will um, absorb some of that water. So it could be either dirt or water in that paper filter. Okay. So even if it's a new or built, then we could have got some dirty fuel? Yes. And you think I should, if it stays full like that, you think I should just go ahead and drain it halfway or just, uh, like you said? Dry draining it definitely won't hurt anything if it makes any difference. Yeah. Okay. And if I want to know if there's water to do, then the Bruce thing is I can get glass and see. Oh, but you say it's hard to see now. Right. Okay. It's hard to get it to separate. Yeah, okay. All right. So does it stay in there and there's no fuel? So it kind of works its way back into the system kind of thing, right? Because let's say some work came in and you got a, a full thing, we just kind of go back in? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, okay. All right. Thanks. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to, oh, get rid of that one. Let's go to Minnesota. John, welcome. Hi, Kevin. I was uh, scrolling along on Facebook a couple months ago, and I came upon a product that asked me to 
asked me for the information and they called me about it. It actually sits underneath your bunk and all the air actually goes out to your dash vent and apparently cuts out exactly what you're talking about, cuts out the main AC system so you're not using as much uh, engine power. But according to them, it cooled everything. I sent the information to Matt for him to look into it. I'm looking into it too myself. But it is a AC system that fits under the bed and uh, so it's is a fully electric. It's a traditional air conditioning with freon and a pump, but we're ducting it into yes. the system that's already in the cab, the cab. right? The, it's ducting it through the air vents, but it does not require the AC compressor and the right condenser so, outside. There is a thing on the back of the cab for cooling it. Okay, so what I'm wondering, honestly, now, if we want to go along the idea of let's eliminate the air conditioning off the engine, this would probably make some sense. If we're not, if all we're doing is trying to create a cool sleeper for when we're parked, I don't know if I would go that in depth. I guess it, it saves a lot of space instead of putting in a, you know, I like the back wall unit, honestly. Yeah. It seems simple and clean. Yeah, and- I think, I think the way the research I've done on this, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I think it solves both problems at the same time, taking the load off the engine and still giving you a cool bunk at night. So uh, I sent the information off to Matt so he can look into it as much as I did, but... You know, now that we're talking about this, um, Leroy, you might have an opinion on this. You kind of touched on it a little bit. If this was that much more efficient, if, if we were going to save a lot with this system, you would think this is something the OEMs would be looking at. It's not that radical. It's not that big of a deal really to build a truck with a a separate ac system that's not on the engine but maybe there's just not enough of a gain to even bother with it i mean maybe that's the point we're missing here is that we still have to use energy it's going to have to come from somewhere and if you're going to use this when you're parked you're going to need a big battery system and an inverter which is what we need for any ac unit a back wall a window whatever I mean, maybe there's just not enough of a gain here to, to even do this. I don't think there's enough of a gain, and I imagine this costs more than the traditional AC, to fit a truck with an AC right. system that's already in place off-the-shelf components. So you'd have to pass that cost on to the customer, and then, like, for what? Like for something that you get not even a noticeable amount of gain. Right, that's what I'm thinking. Maybe because now that we started talking about this, my thought was the OEM could do this fairly easily. You know, it's a it's a kind of a complicated aftermarket fix. But if OEMs wanted to build a truck like this, it would be fairly simple. I just don't think there's any advantage to it. I there might be, but like I, like I said before, the I think until they put a 48 volt system on. Right. That a lot of these electrified is just are not going to work with our traditional 12 volt system. It's just too much of a power draw. Right. Right. You just need too much battery power yeah. to, to get, you know, 8, 10, 12 hours out of an AC system on just battery alone. Takes a lot of battery power. Right. Yep. I get it. I just, 
you guys were talking about it. I had the information, so I figured I would pass it on to somebody to look yeah. into it. Yeah, so. I'll... Uh... I, I wouldn't mind taking That's, a look at it, but no. I have a feeling that that may not be, um, you know, any real game changer as far as that goes. Uh, you know what I was just thinking about? One of the tests I did when I bought that Yeti battery generator, the solar generator, was I hooked it to two big freezers I have in my garage. And I was able to run those freezers for almost 50 hours off of a single charge on my Yeti 3000. Now they make a Yeti 6000. I would have been able to get like four days of running two big freezers off that. Now think about those freezers are cooling down to zero. So there's some significant cooling going on there. I think the big difference is maybe we need to focus more on this on trucks, although this could get expensive too. It's the insulation. I mean, there's no right. way I should be able to run two giant freezers like that for 48 hours, keeping the temperature down to zero. And yet we can't get the inside of a truck cab down to 70 for eight hours. So it's, you know, the, the well, amount of space we're trying to cool and the insulation factor. You probably could do it. But then, you know, what, what again, the cost, right. for one, the adding all the and then what about all the weight that you add? Correct. Like, right. There's always a trade-off. We'll make like a composite like trailer that so we can add insulation to the, the cab, yeah. and then we're back at zero. Yeah, right. For, for four times. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's go to Texas this time. Paul, welcome. Howdy. I got I got two things now. Uh, advice for talent: follow Kevin's business advice and not the other people from the other channel and the AC stuff, <laughs> the, the AC stuff. If you buy an electric APU to keep your sleeper cool, which may cost you between eight and 10, 12, 13,000. I'm not sure exactly what prices are, but I don't know if they use the exist, existing ducting and cool the cab, but, how would you defrost the windshield is my question. Ah. If you were just using an AC that's for the sleeper. Good point. You're right. That would have to be yeah. taken into account. So, but so I think it's the reason they haven't done that, you know, just done away with the AC that's out the front like traditional is the cost of it. Because you can redo your complete AC compressor, evaporated, all the bits and pieces and everything and, labor and free on and everything and it might cost you four thousand dollars and four thousand dollars is not going to buy you an electric apu no yeah. and and that technology is virtually identical to every car with air conditioning and it hasn't changed much in a couple decades i think it's pretty basic and simple and it works yeah. so but the the keeping the sleeper insulated is a big thing like my truck's got piss poured insulation but they cut the roof off it so uh, it's probably got a half inch thick pad up there and then a piece of cardboard with some vinyl or leather stuck to it that's about the insulation i got when i lie down at night i can feel like last night i slept in shreveport and i rolled over and i pulled the pillow back a little bit and i can feel the hot air i got my little honda running and my ac blowing but i can feel the hot air coming up through the door lock and the sleeper door. Yeah, so it's just poor insulation on my that, truck. That, that's a big part like of it. Honda it's a lot of trucks. Cool enough at, yeah, my, 
my Honda will keep me cool enough overnight so i'm going to stick with that in the meantime but the next truck i buy or build it'll have electric abu on it that's a guarantee so that's all i got today so carry on paul Paul, don't go anywhere yet oh okay i just got an email from one of our our top catalyst dealers and they're up in canada they pull cattle trailers but he's got a farmer that just bought a 1982 kenworth with an 8B92. Oh, okay. And he said it's a 15-speed direct with 370 gears, 11R, 22.5 tires, and the frame is rotted really bad. I can't believe it would be a 15-speed direct with 370s. I would think it had to be overdrive, but I'm, I'm not sure because I'm not a two-stroke Detroit guy. So maybe somebody that's listening is, or may, maybe you know something about them. The farmer plans to pull ninety-two to a hundred thousand with this truck, and the cutoffs he's getting is off of a freight liner or the frames, and the rears are three forty-twos. Yeah, he wants to drive fifty to fifty-five mile an hour. If anyone has any suggestions, maybe Kevin, you've had some of these two-stroke engines. Um, yeah, I, well, I don't really well, know much about they, the two-stroke, but the 15-speed is a good transmission. I can tell you that, but I got no idea whether it's a single overdrive or a direct. I got no idea. So. You know what I didn't like about the 15? You can't split it, so I didn't. I don't like that transmission. But what RPM range does an 8B92 run? 1800. They're really screaming. Uh, yeah, 18 <laughs> to 23. Um, they were screamers. Okay, and. I, I, you know, when I owned the two-strokes, I didn't know much of anything. So I, I don't really, I mean, all I did was drive them and put oil in them. So I, I don't really know much about them either, other than I can't imagine they're really worth having on the road today. I mean, I, I just, that engine had a lot of problems. They were cheap. You know, the, the LTL companies, if you went into, you know, a roadway garage, yellow, any of those big LTL companies, they had crates of those things. At 250,000 miles, they just yank one out and put another one in. Yeah. Is due for an oil change? Now we're going to yeah, swap we'll, the we'll whole just engine. Swap the engine out; it's easier. Yeah, it's, it's so. I, it's I, due they for were, bearings. Now we got to drop a motor in it. Yeah. yeah, they were like really cheap throwaways. I mean, that's what they seemed like to me. Uh, Bruce, did you tell Kevin about that that big beastie Kenworth I sent you with the twenty seven liter V twelve cat in it? <laughs> no, I, I didn't know if it was a cat or what it was, and. Uh, Full steer yeah. axles, and is that a New Zealand or an Australian truck? No, that, that's an, an Aussie. Um, that, that, that originally that truck was a day cab, and it pulled um, road train in the mines. Well, then that company got it, and they did a complete strip down, like going back to the factory reboot, and put the sleeper cab on it. And if you look really closely, the sleeper cab, the door is opens in the very front corner of that sleeper on the driver on the passenger side and you actually come out and you step down onto that step you you can see the door handle but it's got a 27 liter v12 caterpillar engine in it kevin twin steer axles and tri drive it's probably rated a holy uh, cow about a hundred thousand pound tractor unit probably but <laughs> it probably have a gross combination of 400 that's wild yeah, so. yeah crazy yeah so so. All right. All right. Good that's stuff. all I got, I think.
That's all we need. We're going to head off to Georgia this time. Mike, welcome to the program. Hi, guys. Uh, Hey, I was going to tell you a story about a Detroit Series 60 and how bulletproof those things are. Uh, About 12 years ago, uh, Kevin, I think I called and told you one time about 1 o'clock in the morning, I bought a $5,000 FLD and went to work with it. I remember. And uh, it had had 1.3 million miles on it total with 300,000 on an end frame. From day one, the it burnt a gallon every 5,000 miles, but like the other fella said, it, the second gallon was at three or 4,000 miles. And then at 12,000 miles, it's about ready for another gallon, so I was just changed it. And everybody told me you need to get ready for an end frame on it, everybody but one person. And everybody told me that. And then it developed a, it developed a, a leak somewhere to where I was getting oil in the antifreeze. At about 500,000 miles on that end frame. And it, it was just random. We, I never knew when it was going to do it. Every fuel up, I'd check the antifreeze and it'd be clean. And then the next time I'd go, I'm like, man, there's got to be a, a quart of oil in that thing. So I'd pull up from the fuel station and find a spot and I'd take the hose clamp off and I'd drain that tank out. And then I'd throw a couple more gallon of because all the oil was at the top in that tank and throw a couple gallon of antifreeze in it, go on down the road, and heck, I might drive 40,000 miles and nothing again. We never could find it. Pittsburgh Power did a bunch of pressure tests on it and all kinds of things. We, I, we couldn't figure it out. So I was talking to Bruce about it one time and telling him about it. He asked me if it had any blow-by, and it didn't. I don't know if you remember or not, Bruce, but then I said I was having to drain that oil off every once in a while, and it got to where... I'd drain it off, and I'd think it was a quart, when in all reality, it was about six or seven paper towels on top of the antifreeze in a five-gallon bucket that I drained off. I could just dab the oil off of it, and I'd just pour it back in. And I kept doing that, and then finally I chickened out at 1.1 million miles when I bought that CMC motor. But the motor was exactly the same at that mileage. (laughs) With all that stuff happening to it, I never did one oil sample because I was too scared to. So that's a story about a bulletproof 12.7. So when you say the CMC engine, most people won't know what you're talking about. That was the engine that we built at the CMC. Was that the CMC in Kansas City? Yeah, I think it was. I wasn't there. but The Detroit was Kansas City, I think. Yes. Didn't we build a cat in... This is Mike Thompson. This is Mike Thompson on the phone, and he's our catalyst dealer. You're east of uh, Indianapolis, correct? Yeah, yeah, Indianapolis. But you spend your winters. You spend your winters in uh, Arizona. Arizona. And he is he's a retired United Airline pilot, and he's also a stunt pilot. I just want people to know who this is. But now you bought some exotic UTV down in Arizona. Give us a a, a minute's story about that. Well, we go out. I went out on a ride on one out in the desert, and and the next day I went out and bought one from a dealer out there. And after a couple of weeks, I bought it used, and I noticed the ball joint was getting a little loose, so I couldn't get it in the shop to get it fixed. And so I called this fellow up called DJ's Performance. And he said, yeah, bring it up. I'll change everything out. Well, I got up there and I said, hey, I want to 
I want to beef this thing up. So, you know, going out in the desert, I might have an 80-year-old in the backseat of this thing. I don't want to break down or anything, you know, because it's pretty rough territory. He goes, oh, that'll cost you a lot of money to do that. But he said, I want to show you something here. Well, he builds these Baja racers. They're, uh, they're a, uh, mine is a Polaris, but he completely tears them apart and makes them so that you can actually race them in the uh, Baja 1000 professionally if you want to. And I took one look at that thing, and I had to have that. So I bought that. And it turns out I didn't realize who I was talking to, but it was D.J. Jones, which is Parnelli Jones's son. He's a world champion Baja racer and Indy car driver and all that stuff. So kind of got in with him, and now I go on rides with him when I'm out there all the time. And he puts on these simulated six, seven, eight hundred mile rides to go for three days and kind of like a race slash ride beer drinking time so that's kind of the gist so, of it may we ask what that thing costs well he had 80 grand in it and i got i got it for 50 so that's a bar it was it was he it another guy i walked into uh 80 triple s polaris snuff skidoo dealer for snowmobiles that's where i deal with in ogden utah they had a bombardier utv four-seater and all done up and I said yeah. to the salesman, I said, what's that worth? He said, 80000 I said, you got to yeah. be kidding. For a UTV to go out and bust around in the woods? He said, yeah, and people buy them. <laughs> I was stunned. Well, he, he, you know, you buy them for, you can get a, you know, you buy them for 35 or so. And then, then by the time they put all that aftermarket stuff, and, you know, they, this thing will go from zero to 100 in about six seconds in the sand. I mean, it's ridiculous. And it's all set up for, you know, the Baja racing. You have the communication system, you have the GPS system, you have the fire suppression system on it, air for the helmets, all that stuff, you hey, know? Hey, Bruce, think about this. So, if you and I just would have spent 80 grand, remember when we were at the pink sand dunes in Utah and neither one of us could make it to the yeah. top of that sand dune? We would have been able to put the girls in the back and gone over the top of that thing. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> we were high marking it instead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's definitely a place to get your testosterone going when you go on those rides because you'll be going up stuff. There's you think there's no way you can go up that, and you go up it, and then the next thing you're on these flat through the desert running 85 mile an hour, and you you're just hoping and praying that those shocks hold up. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just a, just a blast. So, anyway. So you're but back I, in Indianapolis now for the summer? Yeah, yeah. I had, got, had to get back into the truck, and it, it's eating me up. So, Oh, I was going to tell you, talking about insulation, four or five years ago, my truck on the inside caught on fire. It was uh, one of those electrical strips. It was plugged in, and, and it burnt half the interior out. So I just went in there and, and, and one, one week, and I just – took the entire interior out. The truck started up, everything worked on the truck, it just the back part of the interior, and I stripped it down to the metal. And I had a local guy come by and insulate it with close, about an inch thick of close cellular spray foam insulation. Floor, sides, up above, everything. And it, before I put the interior in. And I, I'm down here in Georgia, it's 93 degrees, and I'm going down the highway, and I have to turn the air conditioner on and off. That's how... I mean, just on a low I, setting will still freeze me out of here. I think better insulation in our trucks would make I mean, a big difference. If there's just a simple, oh, it's a huge way difference. Yeah, 
I used to have to have it on high all the time before I did that. I was, I was shocked at how much of a difference it made. So. I'll bet. Yeah. So, yeah, anyway. But that's all I got. So. All right. That's all we need. Let's well, move well, on to... Welcome back. Yeah. Welcome back to work, Mike. Yeah, one of these days when I've got time, Mike, call in and I want to kind of quiz you on the airline industry and what the hell's going on with that. What a mess. Man, oh, man. Um, uh, Mike's got some great stories on that, Kevin. I'll bet. I'll tell you, but I won't tell you on the air. <laughs> I won't say it on the air. So. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a it's, mess. Uh, um, you know, the, the one yeah. thing that shocks me, I, I've always been a big fan of Southwest. I think they ran that business incredible. I loved their system for flying. Um, and then since the pandemic, I swear, I think the government went after them. I really do. I don't know why. Nothing about Southwest made sense. All the problems they're having. That company was so well run. You know, they have never, ever laid off an employee. They have some of the best, yeah. used to, have some of the best metrics in the industry. I don't know any of the inside stuff, but from an outsider and just looking at their numbers and their performance, it's just a very impressive company. And all of a sudden, they are a mess. It's just, I don't know what could have happened well, so fast. And now, I don't know if this I is don't. good for them or not, but now for the first time ever, they're now running, um, oh shoot, what do they call overnight flights? Red Eyes? They're now running red eyes. They've never done that ever. And now they're doing it. I don't know why. I do not care to fly Southwest because I don't like to stand in those lines like they have. And you're, you have that number. I, uh, I have a lot of air miles with United and we fly first class and I don't have to stand there like a piece of cattle. Yeah, I don't, I, And I like the first class versus being everything coach. So I stay away from Southwest. Yeah, I, uh, you know, the, the cattle call system, so easy to get around that. I always buy a premium ticket that ensures I will have a number between 1 and 25 in A. And why stand up? You, you sit there, wait until it's your turn, and you just walk up into the line with your number. I never stand there. Yeah. So, but I, I think they're efficient. They were friendly. There's so many things about Southwest I did like. And... Yeah, I get it. It's all coach, but they're not as crammed as everybody else. And it was just a very, very well-run company. And all of a sudden, they've just gone to hell. And I don't, I don't get it. But the whole airline industry is just a mess right now. Let's get to some calls. They're piled up on us. Let's go to Alabama. Mark, welcome. Hey, before I get to my question uh, about Southwest, uh, Herb Kelleher built that airline, and he built it just to run in Texas through regulation. And he was sued to death by all the major airlines that were running in Texas because they saw him as a threat. He was a lawyer and he would be in court in the daytime. Well, he would, he had to try to run the, run the airline and defend, do lawsuits and litigate. Oh, we might be losing you. Yeah. Um, I, I, he, he, oh, go ahead. We're back. Yeah. He, he, he built that air. Uh, you're breaking up. I, it was, I agree. They, I've got a bad thing. You really, you really do. You're dropping out completely. I, I'll there, get out of it in a second, but if I, if I do, if I, I'll call back if I have to, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I've got, I'll talk a little bit and your signal sounds like it's coming back. Um, there were federal laws written because of Southwest. They restricted them from doing all kinds of stuff for years. And there were, you know, 
campaigns. They tried to get people to, you know, sign to change the law. It was they were targeted for a long time. And that company was suppressed by laws. And yet they still managed to succeed. I can't imagine what changed so fast. Well, one of the possibilities is the fact that when Herb retired and now it's on the third generation of management. So that well, Herb passed it. away. So yeah. it's on a third, it's on a third generation of management. So, you know, when you get to your third generation of management, not that, uh, how, uh, things get kind of run into the ground yep. because they forgot what, uh, process that got them there in the first place. And Herb was a big people person. He, uh, he treated his employees, although they were the most unionized company probably in the airline industry, he treated his employees like they were family, and they, he put them before the customers, and therefore yep. they, they, they took care of the customers. It was, uh, so there's a lot of podcasts you can go back and listen to Herb on, and he's a really he's like one of my heroes in business because of uh, his style and the way he the way he treated you, people. It was to, he was, know, Herb was a very unique character. You know— um, there's a book written by the CEO of Whole Foods called Conscious Capitalism. And I think that, you know, Whole Foods does that somewhat, not anymore now that Amazon bought them, but uh, in the beginning, I think they did. I think the one of the absolute best examples of conscious capitalism was Herb and Southwest. I think it was incredible. And I, I wish more companies yeah. were run like that. Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, it's just it was built around making flights affordable to everyday people, uh, and they turned a profit, and they were yeah. profitable up until COVID came along, and uh, yeah. they uh, they just treated everybody. I mean, you could Delta Airlines used to be famous for that, and then they went through their crap. So oh, Delta uh, was awful. I, I flew a lot of Delta because. Out of well, Orlando, at, it's one of the at bigger... one point they were you know back in, yeah yeah back in the day I'm talking right. about back right. in, 60s, in the day it's like when we 70s, were kids or whatever yeah. right yeah and then and then and then when they bought Pan Am Pan Am's routes and all of that it just kind of just went to crap you know they filed they end up filing bankrupts then so uh, anyway uh, I have a question and uh, it's rudimentary and I was talking to another car hauler about this just a little while ago. I got an air leak problem, and it's like I get up in the morning, and the air is all out of the bags, and the air pressure's down to like 30 psi, and the trailer will be fine. I know it's on the truck somewhere, and I can't hear it. And I've told the shop the last time I had a PM, I said I got an air leak, and it's like you know because I I give all these instructions when I get a PM, check the underneath, look for air leaks. I mean, do a PM is what it's for. You know, check the drive line, check the airbags. You know, it's kind of a whole checklist. Well, I still got this air leak, and I don't know where to start with. And where, how would, how would you all begin to, to go go look for an air leak on, on a vehicle? And then I have another question. Like, uh, and there was an issue last week where I I couldn't build air pressure, and air was coming out of a little tube in the firewall. And then once it all, I, I turned it off, and it all went out. I guess the valve reset. And I built air pressure, and it hasn't happened again. So, is it? Is it? I got. I would get under the truck with a, a spray bottle of soapy water and spray the lines. That's that's one way. Isn't isn't there something on the market now that does this with sound? Does anybody know of anything? Why am it's I thinking? Yeah, we had talked a very about quiet place. I I thought so. Yeah, we had talked about it before. Uh, someone has one. We don't. We don't. Old school. Um, even like 
very much air leaks, and they were all at the dash. All these trucks have the, a hose that no longer screws in. It's, it, it's a push-type push connector, and a bunch of them were leaking, and all very slight leaks, but over an eight-hour period, he'd run his air tanks down. And a PM doesn't include looking for air leaks. PM is generally oil filter lube. Well, I know, but I always tell them, I always ask them, ask for more, ask for more, and I'll pay for more. So you know, it's like I'm in here getting checked out. You know, I'd rather get it found while we're while we're in the shop. You know, got to go in there. All right, let's look for stuff. Just like when I came up to the wall, I had the uh, the Hawkeye report. So air leaks be tough to find. I mean, you know, when they're just seeping, they don't make much noise. No, it, it doesn't. And then there's, then it's it's hard to find. I just stop back at a Lowe's and go get got a cup of coffee, and I crawl underneath there, and it's like, well, I can't hear anything here. There's too much noise all around. So it's like, you know, it'd be in a quiet place to do that. Yeah, and it could be inside, you know, behind a dash, out in a firewall, on the airbags. I mean, there's a lot of lines and fittings. There is a lot of places yeah. for a leak. So what, what kind of truck? Yeah. It, it, it's a 2018 uh, Western Star 4900 car hauler. Okay. Beanie 13. There's a couple models of trucks that have some junctions that are problems for this, but that's not one of them. So that I just one, wondered it, if you it, all had any clues where to begin. Nope. It, it could be any one of the air fittings on that truck, and there's a lot of them. So you got to use the soapy water, you know, the sound, something. And it's just, it's a lot of work. And it's like when winter comes around, it's like, you know, we get a hard freeze in the South. It's like right after that, all the air leaks show up. Right. It's like, you know, that's what happened last winter. And just all of a sudden I had, I had an air leak repaired and then the freeze hit and this was in November. And then it was like, it was just air leaks, air leaks. I mean, it's just constant. So I don't know. I just had a, yeah. I nope. was just talking to a friend of mine, and then we were talking about trying to figure out air leaks and where to begin yeah. and how tedious it was. I thought, well, I'll just call and ask you guys. There is no shortcuts or no easy way. That's what I figured you are going to say. Yeah, unfortunately. I mean, the best, and I just don't know a lot of people that have this kind of, you know, there might be, like I said, certain models where it's more likely. Knowing that might cut your time a little bit, but it's just, you just got to get under there and do the work. Let's go to Illinois. Jerry, welcome. Well, let's just do a real quick lightning round of a bunch of things here, Kevin, real quick. Uh, that guy with the air leak, the best way I've found to find air leaks is get a young person with good hearing. I had an air leak. I knew I had it, and I had my son-in-law come over, and he looked at me like, damn, old man, you can't hear that? It's right there. And sure <laughs> enough, he was right. There it was. So we fixed uh, it. But uh, I've had that about three times now. I've had an air leak, and I've had a young person. Oh, well, shit, right there it is. Can't hear that? So that's, anyway, that's the way I, that and soapy water. Uh, Jeremy on his uh, uh, water separator, make sure you let it set overnight or a day or whatever and then drain it because then that water will, set, will settle out. Whatever water's in that water separator will settle out and then you'll drain the water out and not just drain fuel. I've always done that. Let it set for a day or whatever, and before you start it up, that's when you drain your water separator. For Terrence on his air dryer, he's worried about the air dryer filter being up. Well, hell yes, it's got to be up because you got a purge valve on the bottom. The way those air dryers are made, you purge all the moisture out of it at the bottom, so the air filter has to be pointing straight up and not down because that's where the purge valve is. The other thing, Paul stole my thunder on the uh, air conditioners. I don't know how in the world you 
youngsters don't remember the, how important that air conditioner compressor is for the defog and defrost mode. It's got to run, run and cycle to take the moisture out of the air to defog your windshield. So you take it out of the whole system on that and put it somewhere else. I don't know how you're going to defog or defrost your windshield. Yeah, the only so, uh, the the one system that was mentioned was that would work was it was under the bunk, but it was plumbed into the ducting system. So you would still have defrost with that one. Well, if you have, but yeah, you might. Yeah, you might if you had your baffle still working in there to where it would direct the air to there. I guess that's right. You know, it's a little more complex than just blowing air in a duct. So you got baffles and bent doors and what have you that move in there so yeah but uh i mean that's just a that's all controlled right from the knob on the dash and that shouldn't have to change so the defrost is definitely a factor so you've got to at least plumb in it is yeah it's an issue no doubt we i was completely missing that one now about the final thing is is about uh just a step right down memory lane for bruce i may not remember what i had for breakfast but i remember bruce i think you used to be a dealer for these I pulled into our uh, shop, Mike, the small carrier on lease two runs an outside shop, and there was a guy limping into the shop. I just barely, barely creeping into the shop, and he was dropping his trailer, and I dropped my trailer, and I was doing my paperwork, getting ready to turn my paperwork in, and I walked in the shop, and lo and behold, there was an old Freightliner truck there, and, and, and it had a uh, bolted right on the side of the frame, Bruce, with an old pony pack. Remember that? I do remember. That was right. Yeah, I do. Born. You used to be a dealer, didn't you? Yeah, we, we sold some of his. Rex Thorne was the very first person to build a diesel-powered APU for on a truck. He had a 359 Pete with a 3408 Cat in it, so he was an owner-operator out of the Albuquerque, New Mexico area. Unfortunately, we have lost him, but he kept it simple. It was a two-cylinder Kubota. He used a Ford alternator and a Ford air conditioning compressor and a Ford idler pulley, and he had the belt out in the front, so it was very easy to work on, and you could go down to any auto parts store and get several of the components you needed. He was a good guy. Yep, I remember that, and I remember you were a dealer, and I just, uh, I'd never, I've been a long, long, long time since I ever heard a pony pack, and there was one hanging on the side of the truck. I asked the old boy if it still run and worked, and, you know, he was more focused on getting his repair done, and he just said, no, not right now, it isn't, and I could just tell he wasn't in a humor to visit about it, so I just left alone. But anyway, I just wanted to throw that out as a stroll down memory lane for you, Bruce, and a pony pack. So that's all I got you today, what, Kevin. Thank you. You know, you know what I thought you were going to say he had on the right. truck? Right. A safety plus steering stabilizer. Oh, Bruce, I thought that Well, too. maybe he did. Because I didn't crawl underneath the hook. You know, uh, the people that... We've, we've sold, we saw a few every now and then, but everyone that puts one on says, I can't believe how much better my truck steers. And I, I just knew you were going to tell me he had well, to children. You look down and saw that safety plus on that steering axle. Well, uh, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I guess I can uh, back a little farther than that, even with that pony pack. So anyway, just an interesting all right. side note. That's all I got yep. today, Kevin. Thank you. All right. That's all we need. Thanks for the call. And that's going to do it for today. Uh, We're going to wrap this up. Anybody have anything they want to close with? I don't. I'm good. Uh, The fellow that thinks we talk about the same thing week after week, if he listened today, I think he should uh, 
realize that just about everything that was talked about today has never been talked about before. Today was pretty pretty uh, original, some new stuff. I'll close with one that has nothing yeah. whatsoever to do with trucking. Um, it's the economy. I've been watching the economy because I'm concerned about it, and there's just a lot of unusual signs. Like, I, you know, I started back in 17 and 18, I started talking about, you know, a downturn was coming, we're due for one, and I was saving cash looking where I should be investing it. And I'm almost completely out of the stock market. I was in the market for years. I've moved almost all of my money out of the stock market and either invested it back into the business or into real estate. And a very specific real estate here in the gorge. I'm trying to pick up inexpensive properties that someday may make really good vacation rentals. So good views, little remote, so, but I'm really trying to buy cheap because I'm not doing anything with these properties yet. I'm going to let them sit a while. And I've been just waiting for the bargains to show up. I keep thinking the real estate market's got to crash. There's going to be bargains and there's not yet. And I'm shocked. I can't figure out why not. One of the things I think may have happened, especially in this area, is a lot of people for the last decade have been doing the same thing I am, looking at vacation rentals. And what I, what I just started seeing, Phoenix, a couple of other areas where they're big, the revenue for those people is now down by 50%. So these people went out and bought vacation rentals. And at the time, it made total sense because you could buy them and have almost no cost. They would cash flow themselves almost right from the beginning. And they thought, oh, why wouldn't I buy this? It's going to pay for itself. Well, they're not paying for themselves anymore. Now they're becoming a liability. They're costing you to own these things. That market is starting to tank. So I'm thinking maybe this is when we'll start to see some movement in real estate prices because where I am, they're not coming down. It doesn't even make any sense. It, interest rates are through the roof. Nobody seems to be buying. And they're building 43 new houses here in town. And I, I'm wondering well, why. I can up along Interstate 70 in the Rocky Mountains, the prices aren't coming down either. Same thing. I think those those areas with big vacation rentals is that's what's propping up the market. These people bought these things as investments, and they're not going to get rid of them easily. But if your revenue drops 50%, you better have some money somewhere. Yeah. So just keeping well, an eye on the economy. I think we're in for some rough times. Three years ago, everything was great. It was. Well, right right before Fauci and the Democrats played with their their, um, their, their coronavirus. Their, their pandemic. And everything was great. It, everything was great prior to that, and that's what they did to us. That was a turning point. So. Now, I, I will say that right then we were ready for a downturn anyway. We were actually overdue for a downturn. Which would have been fine. That's the natural cycle. It happens all the time. I was prepared, completely prepared for a normal downturn. I'm afraid now that we get it. what's happened with the pandemic and all the government spending is we've pushed this into a downturn that like we've never seen before. That's what I'm worried about. The rule was every nine years we'd go into a recession. Right. So when yep. Donald Trump became president, we should have been in a recession his first or second year, but the man is so smart and such a businessman, he he kept the 
the country out of a recession. So Fauci and the uh, his fellow Democrats decided they needed to force it. And they forced it in on us. Yep. And then so. all the spending. I'm still reading crazy stories of all the corruption in the PPP program. What a mess that was. That so much of that money was wasted and embezzled and just, just, what a mess. Uh, all right. We're going to wrap it up on that positive note. And we will see you back here tomorrow. Uh, Dr. Edward Griffin will be joining me from Sovereign Silver. Uh, no major theme. Uh, just uh, We'll just talk a little bit about silver and copper and take some questions. So we'll, uh, we'll see you then. All right. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.